Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is July the 7th of 2021. It's our first edition of Weekly Manga Recap in the summer month of July on the most three days after America Day ever. I don't know. I don't even care about it. I wouldn't. Look. Fireworks. I hate I, them. I don't. I don't. I'm not. Like, I know there's a lot of people out there who are like, I hate fireworks. I hate everything about them. I'm not. I'm not quite to that level. I would be okay with Fourth of the July fireworks if it was the fucking Fourth of July and that was it. But yeah. for some reason in my neighborhood, and maybe it's true for everybody, Fourth of July is a week long celebration where mm-hmm. you just freak the shit out of my dog for seven days straight <laughs> every night. I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. I don't. It is three days before the Fourth of July, and then sometimes I'm like it is July seventh. There is no more need for fucking fireworks. A hurricane blew through here last night, and before it arrived, people were setting off fireworks. What are you doing? That does sound like peak Florida, to it's be the honest. Most Florida thing. <laughs> I, I was looking up stuff online because, uh, for the, for for uh, historians' sake, we are recording this uh, the day a- uh, the day after uh, Hurricane Elsa made landfall in oh. Florida. Every it was it's a weak storm. I hope that everyone was safe enough that everyone's fine. Uh, but you know, just because it was weak, you should not take things lightly with when it comes to hurricanes. But anyway, I'm really curious what, to find the one goober scientist who was like, "I have no way to tell when these things happened." I will I will reference this manga podcast to establish yeah, date and chronology for all of my experiments. Uh. <laughs> Oh, and uh, if you are looking for the clue in the Mona Lisa, it is in quadrant E7. That is where you must (laughs) look for it, Tom Hanks. But you're looking at the wrong Mona Lisa. Mm. That'll throw him off the trail for a little bit. Get the treasure necklace. (laughs) We know where the clue is. Let's get it. We'll be rich. No matter which one you're looking at. (laughs) It's all the wrong ones. uh... I, I was looking at so I was looking at Elsa uh, news and I was trying to find. Well, like, don't just type Elsa into Google. Safe search off, right. Nick. And that's not going to help. Uh, you know, all that all that flooding damage is terrible to look at. You know, <laughs> but um, so I, I just kind of like I'm trying to find a particular resource because I like the way that their map and projection looks, and I could not find it. Uh, but in the midst of my search, I came across this one for this model who was doing a shoot on the beach and hurricane elsa driven storm clouds are in the background behind her and she's and she just like thanks Elsa, for the awesome backdrop that it will kill you (laughs) (laughs) do you ever wonder at what point metocalypse became like not satire (laughs) like at what point metalocalypse just became an an honest to god uh, like uh an earnest lens into the the world we live in well, having lived in Florida my entire life, I know that that's been a thing since before uh, Metalocalypse, unfortunately. Okay. Hurricane parties are a thing, so. Well, ain't no party like a hurricane party, so. Because the hurricane party don't. Yeah. Um, then you have a stop sign in the chest. <laughs> yeah. So. We read a manga for this week. Nick, we're saying all these jokes and doing all these tangents because we have to come up with something interesting to talk about while we talk Man. about Pokemon Heart Gold Man. and Soul Silver. <laughs> There's not much.
It's like a checklist was somewhere, Except and they were like, "You definitely got to hit heart, gold, soul, silver at some point." Oh, sorry. You're good. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I lost connection very briefly there. Uh, but um, Heart, Gold, and Soul, Silver chapters, which uh, ran uh, in like 2010 to coincide, of course, with the Pokemon Heart, Gold, and Soul, Silver games. Um, you may, People may recall when we covered the Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum chapter uh, that I said, this is the last that I've read. I don't have any familiarity with the series after this point. Uh, if I had, I might have said, yeah, we could probably just skip Heart, Gold, and Soul, Silver. <laughs> Like it's it's not bad. It's just there's not a lot to talk about, and there's very little notes uh, because it's characters that we're already familiar with. A lot of the cast beyond the protagonists are the least memorable characters from the games that you can think of. The villains of this story are the Team Rocket admins from Gold and Silver. Uh, at least they have names now because in the original version of the games, they were just admin and they didn't have names. Um, and they, you know, hatch a very standard team rocket plot of, you know, we're going to, or, you know, villainous group of the Pokemon game plot of, we're going to take control of this legendary Pokemon in this case, Arceus, and we're going to take over the world. And in this case, you also don't really get an idea as to the why or how this will work um the main the leader of the four op, uh admins that are concocting this plan is a cartoonishly incompetent villain who literally at one point dances up to Arceus saying, I'm going to capture him. And then Arceus literally kicks him down the stairs away. And that's <laughs> the last thing that he does. Um, and there's only really one bit of important character development. Okay. Two that I can think of when it comes to the actual protagonists, the uh, Pokedex holders. Uh, there's not a lot of time that it runs. It's like 19 chapters. So not a lot of time to really do anything, but it's not a very interesting story, and you can probably, if you are like, oh, I want to, you know, familiarize myself with Pokemon. Honestly, if there's one part of it you can skip, it is probably this one. Like, I imagine if, like, your favorite part was gold and silver and crystal, and those are your favorite Pokedex holders, like, sure, you get to see them all together again. They show off some new Pokemon. They all get moments to look kind of cool. Um, but, like, in terms of, like, an actual narrative and, like, plot that you're following it's Arceus is going to be taken over by Team Rocket and then we've got to stop Arceus and then we did it credits yeah. and then they go home it's like you know it's 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 an interesting thing but it, it almost feels like it was a checklist that someone had to knock off like someone was like because I, I don't know how when they write these if they were like alright so these new games came out we obviously have to do the manga for them um, we don't have a ton of plot, but we didn't deal with Arceus from Gen 4 because it had 69 legendaries in it or some bullshit like that. So we, we could deal with Arceus here. Uh, what else did Gen, did the, the Gold and Silver remakes do? And somebody was like, there was a Pokeathlon and it was like, I, yeah, fucking four chapters of that, I guess. Yeah. Just put it in there. I don't. <laughs> so I had to look into this stuff because I 
didn't really play Heart Gold and Soul Silver very much, so I wasn't familiar with the stuff that they added to them that was unique to those games. And apparently, this manga includes two of the elements that are were added for that. One of which is an event where you can go to the Sinjo ruins, which are somehow both Sinnoh and Johto, because it was Gen Four, but it was the Gen Two remake that happened in Gen Four. And you access it with if you have an Arceus, and you go to the ruins of Alf from the original Johto games. And then in order for there to be more to it than that, they took the Pokethlon things, which are just individual mini game challenges that you can also do in the games. Cause they, you know, would add little things in each of the games to kind of just like give you a new little thing to do. And they gave them important lore that connects them to the legend of Arceus <laughs> because it was the only thing they had to work with. Yeah. It's uh it's rough times. <laughs> so um the only thing that I really have to have to comment on is so silver is kind of important to things because, you know, Team Rocket's involved. Silver, of course, is Giovanni's son. Uh, in this continuity and so they do have a little bit about his connection there but there's not really a payoff to it Giovanni shows up and that's just kind of it it they leave things open-ended in the relationship between Silver and Giovanni so it doesn't really feel like there's a lot of payoff there uh Crystal is there but she has honestly like one cool moment where the freaking creator of the universe Arceus shows up and her first instinct is I've got to stop it. I'll capture it. And she tries to just kick a pokeball at it. It doesn't work, but it's like, that's just her first instinct. And so I was like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and, but really this, the only person who's got like a prominent narrative in this, uh, little saga is gold. And his thing is about how even though he's, you know, part of this group of Pokedex holders who are all very accomplished and stuff, it's continuing the idea that he, a lot of people don't really think that he belongs amongst them. Um, they established at the beginning that he was the last choice for the three of them in the region to help out on this mission that involves Lance trying to contact Oak about something. And so Oak tries to get Silver and then Crystal and they're not available so that he's like, all right, gold, come here, I guess, you know, so. And then that pays off at the end because uh, gold realizes that he's been kind of protective of his Togepi, who is very similar to him in personality. And when he realizes that, he's like, yeah, you know, I've, I've the, I'm the last one that people rely on, too. So I'm sorry that I didn't trust you. I believe in you. And then Togepi freaking double evolves into Togekiss. And that's what makes Arceus go, yay, I, I trust humanity now. <laughs> yeah. A good move, by the way, because uh, Togechik, or, yeah, is that the, the middle evolution? Or Toget, Togetic, or Togetic, or whatever. Whatever. Yeah. That is one of the most butt-ugly Pokemon in existence. So it was a great move to just skip straight straight past it, right into the a better evolution. <laughs> Full agreement, yes. So, And uh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, really. Like, I I feel bad because you know it was a recommendation, uh. But uh, this is like sort of the 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 context we're working with here. So we have our Discord server, which of course everyone should go to, 
and we have a, a specific channel that's just set up for the current recommendation. So we have a lot of people who read the series along with us or have already read it and they add their thoughts. Uh, when it came to this series, there was like maybe like a half hour long discussion about this series. Then it moved to just talking about Pokemon type matchups in the game. Then it moved to talking about a Bionicle manga. And then it moved to the idea of me starting up a Jackie Chan podcast. And uh, that's it. <laughs> like, that, like, there was very little content about this series, even in our Discord. So, like, there's just not that much to actually say, unfortunately. Um, Gold and Heart Gold and Soul Silver were pretty decent games. You know, cool. there's that going for them. Um, Arceus is a butt ugly Pokemon, but you know, what are you gonna do? They had to, they had to come up with designs for like. 17 legendary pokemon that gen they can't all be winners i mean it'd be cool if a couple of them were but you know can't win this every also, fight this is also like um it kind of has the same trappings of we got canceled after 20 chapters so i needed to wrap up the the epic quest that was going to last <laughs> for the entirety of the series because the plates that are in the fourth gen game specifically to change arceus's type uh and, and okay. stuff there are 16 of these which you just you know acquire through various points in the game and you know that like if there were a full saga that were associated with they would that you know people would be gathering them and stuff like that but instead they just hand wave and say yeah so silver's uh weavile just left some markings on trees that made all the other sneezels and weavile <laughs> in the entire region all hunt for them together and then <laughs> deliver them to him uh, there is a lot of time spent gathering these things while simultaneously no time spent on like there's so many like moments of like silver being like 16 what significance is there of 16 uh, fist plate uh, ground or like uh, a dust plate what could these possibly like halfway through be like the pokemon type like it's it feels like he spends a while getting there and then he gets there, and he's like, "Now I have all 16. <laughs> now here they are." <laughs> it's like, all right. Uh, the one other note, two two other quick notes I have about the season, which are really just kind of like just to dunk on a couple of characters. One of the Team Rocket admins um, is an as a master of disguise, and he's the first one who reveals himself to any of the protagonists, and he says to Silver, "That's right." I'm a master of disguise. The next time you see one of your loved ones, it could secretly be me. And I'm like, I mean, all right. Um, <laughs> I, I, is I mean, that really threatening? Okay. It, it cuts to like, uh, I, I mean, I think his mom's dead, but I would like the idea of like Silver hugging his mom and then the Team Rocket guy reveals his mask. He's like, it was me and along this warm, embracing hug you're receiving is mine. These are my feelings of maternal affection. I got you. Go to bed, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I also do enjoy because it's like a plot point that when they try to capture uh, Arceus, it brings forward uh, Dialga, Palkia, and uh, Gargantia, whatever the dimension Chrysalia? was. No, Cresselia is the moon one. It's like Gar oh, yeah, yeah, Gar yeah. Gargantia. Garatina. Uh, and then they revealed that uh, Giovanni, Lance, and Price has been freed from like the time paradox super hell he was in to be in there and they're going to square off. So like, yeah. uh, uh, Dialga tries fights off against, uh, Lance or not Lance, uh, 
uh, price because he's like, price. I've already experienced the feelings of time. This won't this won't have an effect on me. And then uh, Lance goes against Palkia and he's like, uh, oh, we already established that my Dragonite can like aim and angle its hyper beam. So you don't have to, like I could use that to get around your space warping. And then like Giovanni is against the other one. He's like, I guess I'm stuck with this one. <laughs> I, I don't have like an ace up my, I'm going to send out this beef ass Earth ring, I guess. <laughs> Isn't an Ursa Ring normal type? And Giratina's part goes, yep, doesn't matter. Because <laughs> <laughs> Ursa Rings are awesome. <laughs> um, the other note that I have is, so some of the Gen 2 uh, gym leaders uh, feature in this story, mm-hmm. not all of them, but like Whitney is there with gold and she's just kind of like bouncing off of him because she has the most personality out of the gym leaders from that era, basically. Uh, Claire runs into uh, into Silver briefly w- when they're like trying to find Lance, uh, and um, Morty. They use his like you know second his sixth sense kind of stuff to try and locate a few things, and then Faulkner, Bugsy, and Chuck just run into Silver while he's looking for Morty, and they're like, a lot of people have been bugging Morty lately, asking him to find stuff, and you seem like a suspicious person, so we're gonna have to take you out. And Silver's like. All right, okay. And he beats down Falconer, Falconer and Bugsy immediately. <laughs> As he should. Those gym leaders sucked. Uh, I do also yeah, like just, it. Yeah, that was my thought, which was just like, yeah, they suck. They deserve it. <laughs> I do also just like it because it's a moment of like, I don't have time to explain this. I want to beat the shit out of him and then explain it. And I was like, yeah, all right. Justify it as you need to. So actually, I think that I think Jasmine's the only one who doesn't show up because Price comes back. They explain she's off doing... Oh, she's doing Pokemon contests, I think, or something like mm. that, I feel like. Did she make a cameo in one of their series? Maybe that was it, but uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's unfortunate that... It, I guess it, in retrospect, this kind of exposes that the Johto games had a lot of characters that were just not as memorable as the counterparts that you would have encountered in gen one. Um, and yeah, so it's, it, it kind of sucks. There's yeah. I think we've already talked about it for longer than we really could have gotten out of it. So I think we should just, yeah, yeah. we, 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 we did it. We, we nailed a good, uh, 12 minutes, I think of content out of that, which to be honest is a little bit of a lot. We got we got it all. All right. Well, what a grand a... return to the Pokemon JoJo's adventures. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, we don't have My Hero Academia <laughs> this week. So um, you take it. Yeah, let's talk about Undead Unluck. This is number seventy, Spring. So we open with uh, Union, who is uh, on board their special Union plane. This is a new thing. Um, and basically, this one of the prizes that they won. That'd be sweet. They're like the reward for this. A sweet jet. Is it a private jet? No, but you have to. But you get a discount when upgrading to first class. <laughs> Wait, we have to pay for tickets. Yes, and fuel. Fuel's very expensive. It only flies on the, the by setting fire to the remains of dodo birds. Those have been extinct for years yeah find it though 
Too bad that you, too bad that you didn't, uh, you know, master all those missions that would have gotten rid of the extinction. <laughs> yeah, UMA extinction's still out there. Um, so basically, they talk about how they're trying to find Fuko, but they don't have any way to contact her right now. And they're like, you know, we're trying to ping her, but we can't. And apparently that Tele guy is a communications technology expert, so we can't really expect them to contact us. So we're not really sure what we're going to do. And it kind of just ends with Andy being like, all right, you know, we, let's do it. Let's let's get a hostage of our own, basically. And they're just like, all right, what's going to be Union's move? We cut over to Union, uh, where we open with Billy, and he's talking about Spring. The last of the seasonal UMAs is still out there. He says, Spring is currently overlooking Tokyo. It has already reached phase two. It is making cherry blossoms all over Tokyo, which doesn't sound so bad. That sounds pretty nice. That sounds great. Uh, also, drink- he's drinking heavily. <laughs> yeah, also, he's a bit of a lush. Uh, and uh, Fuko just says, moment, like, oh, Mary's a bit more mild-mannered than the other ones. Uh, he says, yes, if it's exposing a moment of weakness, that works for us. Launch the nuke. <laughs> and... Creed is like, sure thing. And they launch a nuke. And they're like, what? Because, you know, Fuko's like, what about all the people in Tokyo? And Creed's like, that's just 10 million people. If that's the sacrifice we have to make to be in UMA, then that's chump change. And we see Creed's ability undecrease. So he launches a nuke. I was hoping for uncredible, but, you know, undecrease, I think, probably works a little bit better considering what he does so uh big emergency a a nuke has been launched they ask for a visual and we cut over to uh spring who is sitting atop what a tokyo tower i think is what it's called right i believe so yeah Yeah. and uh, it's just watching a nuke coming and it says how uncouth trying to interrupt my spring cherry blossom viewing are you I've got some time till the booze kicks in. So before it does, and he pulls out some dice. And I'm like, what the fuck is he going to do? And he says, how about we play a game? A cannon? If I win, I take that nuke. And he rolls some dice, guesses even, it comes out even, and jackpot. Luck shines upon him. The nuke harmlessly lands in Tokyo. And we get our full page sort of introduction to spring as he pulls out some fans and says oh yeah nothing beats spring (laughs) uh which is a pretty cool image yes (laughs) he's great (laughs) uh so like holy shit that's that that's that guy like we gotta that we see uh uh union no yeah union uh reacted to it first and like that's that thing's ability to like no, I think he's just using dice-shaped artifacts, so this is kind of interesting. But if I were him, I'd have realized it too. Fuko is pivotal for the spring fight. So they have their quote-unquote hostage. There's nothing else that Union could do at the, or Under can do at this moment but kind of go there. Because as Creed explains, well... I can't shoot any more nukes unless I use them up. My undecrease won't activate. So because the nuke was taken and not used up, he can't just fire another one. So we do find out a little bit of how his power works. Um, And then Billy just has a little thought of Juez saying, that girl is our hope. And he says, Fuko, you will kill Spring. And uh, 
There's a whole lot of people fighting back against it, but Foucault is immediately just like, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, I'm tired of feeling pathetic. Everyone else has been steadily growing, but I can't do anything unless Andy is around. I've been piggybacking off of Andy, and yet I can't give him a proper death. Saving the world was part of the reason I came here, but the truth is I wanted to serve a purpose by myself. I want to stand by Andy's side as a negator all on my own. And if the enemy gets stronger with luck, then I'll get stronger with unluck. I will go to defeat Spring. So, looks like that's where we're headed. Yeah, it's a great introduction to Spring, I think. He's got a cool design, uh, but, you know, I really like his personality. He's just like, ho-hum, they're firing a nuke at me. Oh, well. <laughs> I, it's Stab awesome. on the haters. <laughs> it is also just an energy to you, like... Yeah, a lot of the other ones were kind of evil. So far, he's just chilling out in Tokyo, launching off cherry blossoms and drinking. This dude's fucking living a life. Yeah. What's going to happen? Is it going to turn out that he's just, you know, going to make people die from him having too much fun? Is that it? Something like so. that. Or, I don't know, the cherry blossoms explode. Or, I don't know. There's going to be something. But at the moment, I'm like, this guy rocks. Let's have spring all year round. Yeah. But I do also like the setup of, like, okay, you know, he's artifact is a luck based thing so of course you want the person who gives bad luck to take care of that yeah. so there you go all right so we haven't had a lot of world trigger recently world trigger i've been updating every single month and when it has updated we've only gotten one chapter each time we got two this month <laughs> Nick, what kind of... The one chapter one. <laughs> I was going to say, what kind of big time content did we get this this month in World Trigger? A lot of talking. <laughs> what? In my World Trigger? Impossible. Oh, gosh. Okay, I took notes for this. It's, it's chapters 209 and 210 of the Away Mission Test, parts 7 and 8. So... We start off the, the first of these chapters with the delivery of the first special assignment to the away team squads. It is a question. Why do you think your squads were shuffled for the purposes of this test? Think over the possible reason or reasons as a team. Compile your opinions and submit your responses under 400 words. They have apparently it's only like half an hour uh, for them to actually submit the questions uh, so, or it might be more than that, but I can't remember exactly. What I think it is actually. 30. Cause someone oh, says they'll talk. It says, 10, it says 1040 at the time that the assignment arrives. So on that very first panel, this way it's, it's 1040. So they actually have like over four hours to answer it. Hmm. But I know someone at some point says they're like, we'll spend 20 minutes talking about it and then 10 minutes writing it or something like that. So the majority of the first chapter is cutting to each of the different squads and seeing bits of the conversations that they have about this question. Uh, first, we cut to Mizukami's squad, and they say, well, maybe it's not important that we actually come up with the actual correct answer for this. They just are doing this to gather information on us, so maybe the conversation that we have is just as important as the answer that we actually submit. Uh, we then go to Kodera's squad, and Kodera is immediately like, hey, so don't waste a lot of time on this. Uh, we'll spend 20 minutes discussing possibilities. We'll spend 10 minutes writing up the report, and then we'll submit. And then we're going to get back to doing other stuff, basically. Uh, in Kakizaki's squad, 
Kagira says, this is because, you know, we're going to all be tossed into a huge group together. So this is to get us used to that. Isn't that obvious? Uh, Kitazoe's squad um, bring up the possibility that maybe this is to test how they'll deal with stressful situations because they'll be dealing with people that they're not familiar with interacting with. And most of the members of the squad are like, I don't really get that though. I mean, I feel like we're getting along great. You know, it's, it's, it's cool. You know, I'm, I'm not stressed at all. And Kukuchihara is there. He's just like, I hate all of these people. There's so much. <laughs> freaking out about it still. But we also see that he has come to the same conclusion or is coming to the same conclusion that Sua, Sua did about all the squads were um, forced into winding up this way, basically. Uh, Okay, so Hanzaki in Wakamura squad questions some stuff, and uh, they he brings up the possibility they bring up the possibility that okay, you know, maybe this is so that uh, if one of the captains of one of the squads that isn't going on the mission as a whole goes on the mission, then one of the other members can get used to operating without them. They'll take over as the captain without them or something like that. Uh, they also bring up the possibility that. And so they're like, okay, you know, maybe like if Katora goes, if Ikoma goes, if Kagayura goes, then their squads will be left with someone who now has leadership experience. So Wakamura brings up when this happens, though, that Katori doesn't want to go on the away mission. And Hughes just says, yeah, but she might not have a choice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is a good point. Uh, Karuma squad, uh, Osano, the operator, suggests... The squads got shuffled because it's fresh and fun. And everyone's just kind of like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but she says, you know, like when you meet someone, you get to know them and stuff. And maybe this wouldn't have happened if we weren't forced to meet people. And, you know, we can see if we click or not that way. And it might just be to find synergy among people who wouldn't be on a team otherwise. Uh, and Murakami squad is kind of talking about the same thing. Uh, but they also go on the tangent of, well, maybe this is so that we will expose individual operatives weaknesses because their squads tend to make up and cover up for those weaknesses. And Nina Mia with Nina Mia squad pushes this even further and says it might come down to not just abilities, but personality because he brings up Kagayura is the captain of his squad, but he kind of tends to operate with a lot of freedom because Kitazoe and his operator Nirei are kind of taking care of all the other stuff, and that allows him to do that stuff. Mikumo, I wonder if he can actually produce the same results that he had when he beat me. <laughs> but I wonder if he could replicate that to success if he doesn't have allies who respect him. And Yuzuru kind of meaningfully looks at, at uh, Ninomiya while thinking to himself, I'd ask the same about you, because you don't have my respect. Do we know anything about this, or is this yeah, new? No, we did, because he's thinking of, uh, what's her name? The one girl who left, I believe. Um, oh, okay. Whatever her name was, I'm blanking on it right now. Because I, I think, she, <laughs> I, I feel like she trained Emma or something like that. Right, okay. Hado harder. I wanted to call her like Hito Hero or something like that, and I was like, no, that's silly. <laughs> uh, and then that brings us back to Sua Squad with Osamu and company. 
Katori brings up the idea of, hey, why were certain people selected to be captains when they're not captains of their own squads? Why were certain captains not allowed to be captains of these away team squads? What's going on with that? Sue is like, what, did you want to be a provisional captain? She's like, no. I just want to know why the hell they did this. Uh, so Sua brings up the possibility that certain non-captain members are being chosen to be tested as captain candidates. Maybe they're going to be the next generation of squad captains. Also, maybe certain captains are going to be given a chance to become management material instead. And uh, Katori's like, yeah, but why Rokuro? Which goes to show how much she respects him. So, yeah. And then the power goes out. Yay! Um, Osama recharges the power of the room, and then his laptop is dead. How could this have happened? Stay tuned for the next <laughs> chapter to find out. <laughs> Thank out. God we got two chapters. How infuriating would it be at the end of the chapter? It's just like, oh, my laptop won't work. Credits. <laughs> See you next well, week. I wonder why Osama's computer is not working. Could it be that Osama's a little try-on baby who's got no try-on? Yes, that is exactly <laughs> Uh Katori gets mad at him over this, of course. He's having try-on reserves left by trying to have him charge the room, and of course, he's, he's completely out. So Katori berates him a little bit more, and they're like, what are we going to do? You know, We're, we're going to fall behind on answering questions if you can't use your laptop. So Osama thinks for a little bit, and then he goes over to Oki's laptop, and he's like, hey, can you, like, flip through some of the questions, and I'll take pictures of them on my cell phone, and then I'll answer them on pen and paper, and then first thing in the morning when I've got my try-on back, then I'll get on my laptop and copy everything over so that I can submit the questions more quickly than if I were just working exclusively off my laptop. It's a nice little innovative solution to to that, and it also inspires the rest of the squad, like, oh, if we do this, then we can also work more like, you know, in our, our downtime and stuff. So I'll take some pictures, too. So that works out well enough. <sighs> Let's talk about the stuff people were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so then we come to the control room, and literally we get almost an entire chapter's worth of people analyzing the things that the away squads were talking about that we did not experience firsthand just now. And so they're analyzing people's insight into this question. Um, and so they say, these people brought up this possibility, these people brought up this possibility, but the important one that they actually hone in on is some of the stuff that was come up with by OG and Somay, Somay being Katori Squad's operator. And they draw, in particular, attention to Somay's analysis of the situation, and they play, and we flash back to that when she's talking with the rest of Kitazoe's squad about it. And she says, I think that they're shuffling us to simulate the advancement to B rank. The way that they shuffled stuff resembles the finalized teams when many of us moved from C rank to B rank. So each of us have gained a lot of experience since our teams were first formed back then. So I think that the goal is to reset us to the start or simulate that by putting us with new squads and then seeing how we'll adapt to that based on the experience that we have gained. It's equated to playing a new game plus in a video game, resetting you back to level one, but with some extra perks. And so they, of course, ask, well, why would they do that? And so May says to aggregate and put to use the experience that we've gained. 
They've placed experienced agents together on new squads and are forcing us to produce results during the limited time frame of the test, forcing us to mobilize the necessary knowledge and our experience and transform that raw ability into something more tangible. What's more, the A-rank judges, with their own experience, can learn how to properly evaluate B-rank agents' abilities. And all of that data can be used when forming and cultivating new B-rank squads going forward. I speculate that the aim of all of this concerns the entire organization of Border. So her squad may say, I think that you're onto something there, uh, potentially. So May, however, says, I'm really just speculating. I don't really have a lot of evidence to back this up. She calls it baseless speculation. Everyone's like, yeah, clearly she wasn't baselessly speculating. She's been thinking about this probably yeah. for a while. <laughs> um, and they say that she came up with the most specific uh, answer that most closely matched the actual reasons they're doing this. Only a little bit more than OG did, apparently. But then they say she nailed a good 70% of the reason we are doing this. <laughs> it's... Maybe the most infuriating part of the chapter where it's like, yes, that was about 70% of the ch We won't tell you what the other, like, you're just like, oh. I just, I don't know why this is so quantifiable. It's, it's, it's like, people don't act this way. <laughs> uh, they bring up the possibility that maybe they should consider her for a management position when they hadn't before. And they're like, oh, she's too young. Mm, maybe she could bring some fresh perspective, but you know, drawing a lot of attention to, hey, she's got some really good insights here, so that's nice. Uh, Kido says that Kitora offered some similar thoughts, but because he's on lame-ass Kodera's squad, and he was like, oh, let's only spend 20 minutes talking about this, she didn't really go into as much detail as the others did. Uh, but, and so they're like, you know, since because of that, they were able to, you know, talk more because of Kido's always more laid-back approach to everything. But, on the other hand, Kodera squad is being really efficient with the with actually getting the assignments done. So there is a benefit to both ends of that spectrum. And then they bring up I think this is the last point they bring up, but this, then they bring up Hughes and Yuma both said, "Yeah, I think that they're shuffling the squads so we're used to working with different people in case some of us die on the mission that they have to shuffle us in the act." And <laughs> They're like, yeah, I guess a neighbor would come up with that stuff. <laughs> and I do also like to note that, yeah, a bunch of people didn't like that. But Konami was like, fuck you guys. Why are you being so negative about this? <laughs> that was her answer to that. Um, and then they also bring up Osamu's running out of Tryon and his solution for that and people's reactions to that. And then they say... It's nice that we got a peek at their process, but the assignment is being judged based only on what was submitted. So, shall we score them using the criteria we set out? And uh, then we flash ahead to 7 o'clock in the evening. Uh, Sua Squad is, you know, getting ready to, to start turning in and stuff. Uh, they want to go break for dinner and everything. Then Sua on his uh, captain laptop thing gets a notification about the rankings for the away team squads. Wakamura squad with his approach to doing everything efficiently is scored the highest and Sua's squad with his no try on baby who can't submit some of his answers <laughs> is ranked the lowest. So Wakamura is 11th or 10th uh, rather. Yeah, sorry. I, I misread it. Yeah. So, so 
there you go. Um, <laughs> that's the two chapters for this week. I'm really glad that I took notes ahead of time because, geez, it would have taken me forever to go through otherwise. It It, it is um, a sequence of chapters that only World Trigger could put out. And it is seemingly now becoming a ritual for me that when a new chapter of World Trigger comes out, I have to kind of tweet about the, the, the absurdity of it. And uh, at first it was kind of ironic and charming. Uh, I am slowly reaching the point where I'm like, is this just what World Trigger is? <laughs> like, are there going to be space battles again? Or is it always going to be talking about hypothetical space battles and space bureaucracy? <laughs> Because I'm I'm slowly reaching that point where I'm like, oh my god, have we just crossed over from when the original trilogy went to the new ho- uh, to the old to the the prequels, and there's just the said it. <laughs> We had to get fucking Newt Gungray or whatever. And some, I think it was Conan O'Brien who was told once. They're like, oh, yeah, it was named after Newt Gingrich. She's like, these movies suck. Oh, yeah, they'll really hook the kids in. We got a sweet Newt Gingrich reference in our characters. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so I, I thought that... There were some nice tidbits here and there throughout these two chapters. I do like some of the focus that some of these supporting characters are getting for the unique perspectives that they have on certain things. I do like that it seems like we're building up to some of them going somewhere. But we are getting there at a snail's pace right now. I don't know what to say that it should be instead because I don't know if there's a way to do precisely this kind of approach to this manga in a different way that wouldn't completely miss the point. Yeah. So it's still like, I want to make it clear. I'm not complaining about any of this per se. It is just something I will note. Like it's, it, 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 it's the music thing. I enjoy it. I cannot comprehend the people who are like, best chapter of the week. I'm like, <laughs> really? <laughs> the best? <laughs> All right, let's change gears entirely now. Yeah. Uh, let's so... talk about pornography, Nick. Wait, what? No, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Eden Zero. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess that, that, that is kind of close. Yes, so let's uh, talk about Eden Zero. <laughs> so I will note, we've switched up again, Nick. I'm done. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my relationship with comicsology is done. It's buried. Okay. It's in the past. I moved over to the new hotness, Nick. Azuki. That's right. All the cool kids are talking about Azuki, the new manga service thing that you can get. And it's got Eden Zero and uh, Four Nights of the Apocalypse, a whole bunch of crazy stuff. Uh, and I moved over to it. And we're going to see. This is the first. Huh. This is the trial run. We're going to see if the chapter halfway through just deletes pages from it like I would constantly get on Comixology. So if you're looking for a new place to check out uh, Eden Zero and a whole bunch of other series, you can actually, I think, for the most part, read like the whole run of these series, basically. My uh, dad's the queen of all VTubers. Yeah, there's a bunch of weirdos in our, our Discord, I'm sure, who are all crazy about that. They all love <laughs> those VTuber things. $5. I don't want to, yeah. Oh. I don't want to say that dismissively, but I am very dismissive about VTubers, uh, which is why I muted their channel. I don't know what they talk about in there, but I don't want to know. 
Uh, anyway, we're going to talk about Eden Zero, Chapter 150, Weiss versus Nisei. Uh, and we uh, get a color page where I first thought it was like, oh, so it's like a giantess Rebecca thing. And I'm like, no, it's just weird perspective. I think she's supposed to be normal Very side. Weird perspective, yeah. Uh, we open with Rebecca being like, oh, no, my legs are robotic now. Uh, and Shiki hugs her and it's just like, it's okay. I'm here for you. And there was almost kind of like a weird, sad tension in there. I was like, this scene doesn't really have emotional drama to it in the way I think Hero is intending it. And it almost comes off unnerving for Shiki to be genuinely comforting. <laughs> like, I, I think I'm just like, shouldn't he be like, jumping into the air punching somebody or like i know this is older more mature shiki but i was like i don't know how to take this i get the impression especially because of the way that rebecca talks about shiki later that this is incredibly standard hero main pairing shipping mm -hmm. uh and it could be suggesting that in this timeline shiki and rebecca's relationship was at the point where this would have been more normal for him to do yeah absolutely uh master noah's also there saying look i didn't want to scare you this is the world you're living in and he starts trying to talk but he starts breaking up as he's talking so he'll be like uh it's important for you to learn blah, blah, the reality of the world blah, blah. and then the time before you return you've lost legs been in a coma for years no one can really like she can't really hear what they're saying Except Shiki kind of eventually gets something out saying, if anybody can change this, it's you. You can make sure you never reach this future. Uh, and then Rebecca wakes up. And she's in a bunny costume, Nick. Why is she in a bunny yeah. costume, you might wonder. So, um, when they were making a big deal about uh, uh, Lyra taking Rebecca's clothes off, I was like, oh, what's going to happen? Is she going to be in some crazy fetishy outfit? And I'm like... This is incredibly standard by <laughs> hero series standard. So this is like nothing. And then I was like, wait a minute, though. It's completely off brand for Rebecca. She's not a kitty cat now. She's yeah. a bunny. She's going to be terrified. It was also Great confusing because I was like, they made such a big point before about like, oh, her beautiful legs or whatever. And I was like, oh, she's going to wake up and like she's about to be in surgery to get her legs taken off or something like that. It's like. Oh, maybe they might have just been horny for legs. I don't really, <laughs> we don't really know. Uh, Rebecca's back at it, though. Uh, she has a brief thought thinking about how Shiki was, quote, kind of hot as a grown up. Uh, and she's like, well, I have to change this future. But seriously, though, why am I wearing these clothes? And then a bunch of lights come on, and it's Lyra. She's In there. between the trauma of realizing that I was a double amputee, I thought, hmm. Grown-up Shiki's a snack. <laughs> mm, girl. And it's just like, all right. <laughs> weird to blend these two moments together, but less than a page apart. Um, but Lyra's there. She has a bunch of TVs and a bunch of lights, and they're basically in, like, an underwater aquarium. Uh, like, yeah, we're going to start this week's deep sea party. And hailing from the soccer cosmos, we have the B-Cuba Rebecca. This is streamed totally unedited on the OWNet. And uh, Lyra explains, I didn't get to explain to you because you were passed out, but I'm having you a guest on my, as a guest on my show. And Rebecca's like, who are you, though? And she says, I'm Lyra. I work for the Emperor. <gasps> the enemy. And she's like, yep, we're going to have our fight. Yeah, <laughs> why did you think? 
<laughs> we're gonna have our fight here and then we get a shot of rebecca's thighs really being emphasized and she's like but why am i dressed like this and uh, lyra says you gotta look good for the camera we are broadcasting this for the world uh and then she says this is the game we'll be playing lost card and she has a face i don't know what this face is meant to get across is it cocky is it lacking in confidence i don't know but she is making a face and it's it's kind of halfway between a cocky smirk and a grimace yeah which is a combination between yeah uh we cut over, though, because now we have to get back to the giant robot fight that's happening between Weiss and Nisei. Uh And uh, basically, it's a bunch of space stuff. Um, Weiss does have a moment where he's like, why don't you seem to care about destroying your own planet? And uh, that's not brought up again. We don't. We just, I guess, the impression is Nisei is an asshole. Um, but who knows? Maybe Psycho was also a grandpa to him <laughs> <laughs> we'll get that little tidbit post defeat as well. Um, he summons a whole bunch of energy orbs, and then he complains about gamers t- today in a scene that's like, how old is Nisei supposed to be? Like, is he 70 and just looks really young? Because he just sits there bitching about, he's like, like a shoot 'em up game, you know? All these kids today, when they think of their shooters, they're thinking about their Call of Duties and their Battlefield 1940. In my day, it was about bullet hell games. And they don't understand. I'm like, they still make bullet hell games. I don't, what are you talking about? Back when Toho was popular. Hold on. <laughs> Apropos of nothing, he starts this giant monologue about bitching about gamers. Um, and Weiss just has a moment of saying, like, okay, this guy's got, like, this ether coat on his armor. I need to fire stronger rounds, but if I try to do anything, the Mark II won't be able to take it. What do I do? And then he says, duh, the answer is obvious, as though he's talking to someone else. But this is all in his head. So he's an insane person. Uh, and then he just he just touches the robot and breaks it. <laughs> Which really, oh, that was easy. Really makes this whole conflict seem silly. Um, and then Nisei's like, oh, but your mask broke. That means I can hypnotize you. And Wise is like, no, I, I like reorganized the whole town. So there's a bunch of electro, electrical, uh, electrical jammers, basically. And he's like, also... <laughs> I changed the ground to be full of guns. And he's like, how did you do this? He's like, overdrive. <laughs> That's how the chapter ends. <laughs> I remember when I talked about how Homura getting overdrive seemed really anticlimactic. We're going to take that back now. <laughs> I didn't think this chapter was so funny. So I started recapping it. And I was like, he really does just fly up and grab the rope and he's like boom I win <laughs> alright why did I do this in minute one of this battle <laughs> I guess it, I didn't really need to come to any emotional catharsis unless getting bitched at by some old shitty grognard gamer was the emotional catharsis I needed to unlock overdrive to dig deep and overcome oh <laughs> uh, yeah so don't 
don't uh, don't gatekeep your fandoms from younger fans. Okay, yeah. that's it. That's that's Ian Zero for this week. That's the that's the. But hey, okay. props to Zuki. I didn't run into any issues, so go check it out. A Z U K I dot C O. All right, let's get into our newer series. We're gonna start things off with the Hunters Guild Red Hood Chapter Two. Dodo and Naroya. So, last uh, chapter left off on Grim inviting uh, v- Velo? Veso? Velo? Braid uh, Kid. Uh, so, Velo, I think. Velo, something like that. To become a hunter along with her and take down werewolves and stuff and protect the world. Uh, however, our hero was like, Nah, I, I can't. I've got to stay in this hamlet and protect people. And Grimm's like, why? Why are you saying this? And she literally grabs him and shakes him and makes his head wobble back and forth. He's like, come on, you know, if you destroy all the werewolves in the world, then that'll be like protecting this place too. Come on, join the guild. Um, But uh, he's like, look, I've got like too much to do. And it's not like werewolves will ever be fully eliminated because werewolves were normal people once. So as long as humans exist, there's always going to be more werewolves. And Grimm says, I have an answer for this, but I can't tell you if you're not in the kill. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very like human direct answer. Um, So he's like, Look, if I do join the guild, I'll be sent all around the world to different places. And during the time that I do that, if I do, if there is this secret plan to eliminate werewolves forever, uh, my hamlet's not going to be safe. Uh, We barely had the money to pay you and we can't afford to pay a hunter to stick around here. So I'm going to stay here. I will take up the mayor's mantle and be the new guardian of this hamlet. That's what I want to do. Also, why do you change into an adult? (laughs) (laughs) Thank God he asked it, though, right? Yeah. So Grimm's like, okay, so you've got two issues. You are concerned for the safety of the Hamlet, and you don't trust me. So if I earn your trust, and if I can guarantee the Hamlet's safety, then you won't have anything keeping you here, right? And Phil's like, what are you going to do? <laughs> so she says, okay, I know what I'm going to do now. You've got the mayor's axe. Yeah, you should keep it. It's precious. Uh, we cut away from them to behind them in the woods where two more werewolves are. And they are reacting to the fact that the first werewolf that they killed, Granny Miali, is dead. And we are introduced to this squat, big-mouthed, more monstrous werewolf named Naraoya and a tall, skinny, long-snouted one named Dodo. And uh, they're like, oh, man, I can't believe she's dead. But, you know, she was old. So, you know what this means? She doesn't have territory over this hamlet anymore, so we can take it, and we can feed on the humans here. This is our opportunity to take over. So Dodo is like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to grab some man meat and, you know, maybe kill a couple of hunters along the way. You, Naroya, you're dumb, but you're strong. And well, in combination with my smarts, we're an invincible pair. So we're going to do this together. And they start, like, freaking out. And they're, like, so happy with themselves for being man-eating monstrosities. Uh, I do really like the artwork on these two characters. So Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of personality so far in the werewolves. 
So Naroya basically starts raising a huge ruckus out in the field. He start he starts rampaging among some some sheep. Uh, so a man in a ta- a lookout in a tower raises an alarm. He's banging a bell and saying, "There's a werewolf! Everyone into the meeting house to safety!" So everyone takes shelter inside of this meeting house in the village, and clustered amongst them is Naroya is Dodo rather in a human guise. And so he's like, this is perfect. Everyone's distracted by Naroya outside, raising all of this, all this ruckus. And they think that he's the danger, that they are safe from him in here. But I'm amongst them, too. And this is how I operate. You know, this is the, you know, the difference between strong werewolves and smart werewolves. And so he's just getting ready to take advantage of this. We cut outside to where Naroya is now getting really annoyed by the lookout who is clanging the bell. And he starts to try and go after him and and eat him, and the lookout's like, "Oh God, he's gonna eat me!" But I, I, I'm the lookout. This is my job. I can't just run away. I've got to keep raising the alarm so people know that they're still in danger. Fortunately, Grim is there with him in the tower now, and she says, uh, "Can I borrow this bell?" And the lookout looks at her and says, "No." <laughs> so she she grabs the bell. And she jumps off the tower and smashes Naroya in the head with it. Now, um, how did you feel about this scene? Because, well, go ahead. I don't really like the look of the picture. It's because you don't really, you get a sense of the impact, but it's kind of hard to tell what actually happens to Naroya when she does it. But I do really like the lookout's reaction to her being there and be like, no, you can't take it. <laughs> I thought it was legitimately awesome the first time it happened where she just was like, can I borrow the bell? He's like, no. He just takes it and just fucking like, cracks this big wolf on the head with a bell. I was like, cool. And then someone else brought up the like, well, shouldn't, didn't, didn't they make a point last week that she has like 66 different tools? Why are we fucking introducing improvised bells? I'm like, oh, because it's cool. Stop it. <laughs> you have a good point, but she hit him with a big bell. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I I think that the thought might have occurred to me too, but I I can't I can't argue with your point of like because it's cool because yeah. that is such a great action movie one liner if it's like can I borrow this uh, no <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a cool scene so we then cut to Dodo and he's like what the hell's another hunter doing in here why is he looking around for someone have we made a do 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 joke yet. No. All right. Well, we just did. All right. Done and done. I'll see you guys later. I'm headed off. All right. Bye, Chris. Oh, so... oh man. If I had the ability, I'd start playing the SNL music <laughs> right there. <laughs> uh, so Dodo realizes, wait a minute. This kid's looking for someone. Does he know that I'm in here? There's no way he knows that I'm in here. Okay. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, you know, the, the other hunter's not here. I can handle him. And he doesn't know who I am. So he can't pick me out from anyone. Where'd he go? And Veloz come up behind him and he's pointing his gun right at the back of Dodo's head and he says, I know who you are. And uh, we get a flashback there to where Grim was talk- was walking with Veloz at the start of the chapter and she said, hey, there's two werewolves watching us from the woods. Don't look at them. Pretend that you haven't noticed them. We've just finished a job. Make them think that we are all relaxed and our guards down. And then we've got to get back to the hammock really quickly, and I'll explain on the way. She says, werewolves are territorial creatures. They stake out villages, and the village is their territory. 
other werewolves do not violate other werewolves territory, but when a werewolf dies, other werewolves are always waiting in the wings, ready to swoop in and take over that territory. You should be able to pick them out. And then we cut to the present where Velo just explains this whole hamlet has been raising me since my parents were killed by a werewolf. Everyone here is my family and I don't recognize you. I don't recognize your face or your clothes. I've never seen you before in your life. And when someone I don't know pretends to be family, there's no way I won't notice. And that's basically it. He says, we don't need any werewolves around here and we're going to hunt them and protect this Hamlet as we get a bit of a split panel between Villo pointing the gun and cocking it and Grimm uh, seemingly having finished off Naroya in the, on the outside. So how'd you feel about this chapter, Chris? Uh, a little mixed. Uh, as I said, there are a couple, there's like a couple decent moments, but like, I feel like the big thing at the end where he's like, I recognize you immediately because you're not one of the people in this village. I'm like, how big is this fucking village? Because shouldn't everyone know everyone? You're a fucking village. Like, what yeah. else do you... These are the people... The only people you interact with every single day. Shouldn't everybody be like, hey, who's fucking weirdo over there who's like giggling and you know chortling to himself over there i mean i would guess that there's probably like a a few hundred people out here um if that but uh yeah so maybe dodo is just not as smart as he thinks he is who knows maybe uh but otherwise like I, i don't know i'm still kind of waiting for something in this series to hook me like i i kind of brought up the uh the werewolves before because they're the things in this series right now that kind of have the most personality to me. Uh, there was a little bit when Grimm took the bell and just clanged the werewolf on the head, but it's just not enough right now. This series feels like it's just missing something for me. I think that this chapter was probably heading and starting to head in the right direction when we got the interaction between Velo and Grimm at the beginning. I like the way that she very, you know, calmly lays things out logically, but also we see like how comically blunt she is about certain things. Um, you know, like this thing, the thing with the bell guy, um, the way that, you know, Villa was like, how would you turn into an adult? And she just like completely bulldozes past and doesn't think about it and stuff. Um, and yeah, the way that she like shook him before and was like, you're not making any sense. I'm trying to get you to save the world with me, and then people will be safe. <laughs> um, so I think that if we get more stuff like that from them more consistently, then this will probably be a more gripping series overall. I think that there's definitely some promising elements of it. Uh, we've got, you know, some cool-looking action scenes, cool-looking monsters to have as Monsters of the Week and stuff. So... I think that things are starting to really come together, but they're not quite there just yet. Yeah. And we'll see how things go in the next chapter. So, yep. Uh, and there's no I tell C this week. Oh, no. What happened? What happened to it? I uh, don't remember. Oh, wow. they, they had just gotten a new member of the I division. And I thought that they were going to have lots of new cases to solve. We had, we, that... we'd only just gotten through the prologue. Yeah. Again, <laughs> for like the third time or something. <laughs> okay. Magu-chan, God of Destruction, Chapter 50. Um, oh, 
I might have forgotten to read this chapter. <laughs> oh no! Well, it's not a it's not a big deal. It only introduces a new god and sets up a new plot line. Okay, I guess we're gonna read this one blind. All, All right. right, here we go, everybody. So uh, we open up with oh no, I've forgotten the guy's name. Muscar. Muscar. I'm gonna He's shout. I'm gonna shout important info towards you. Muscar. He's on the beach. Drink water. And... It's important info. Clear. No suit awaken. <laughs> um, and uh, he's uh, so there is a big black swirly thing as he cracks open one of the uh, containment uh, gem things, uh, and then we cut to the morning. Ruru's waking up. Uh, her mom's there, and she kind of brushes Ruru's hair, and uh, then her dad comes into the room and says, "Oh, what are you doing up? You know, elementary school is closed today because it's Sunday." And Ruru seems to act like, wait a minute, something's going wrong. And then she's like, oh, okay, thanks, Daddy. Uh, and we fool out, we we pan out, and it turns out that uh, Ruru is dreaming. Magu is trying to awaken her, and because I, it's uh, about, it's it is morning, but she's still just not awake yet, and so. He tries to uh, get her to eat breakfast, which means that he stuffs a whole tin of natto into her mouth. Um, yes, he does. So that doesn't work. So he goes around to investigate. And he realizes that there is a mist swirling all down the streets. Muscar greets him and says, I shall not let your destructive power fall into the hands of lowly humans. Maga realizes that he is responsible for what's happening, demands to know what's been done. And Ruru says she's having a dream thanks to this one's powers. Wake up, Nosukoshu. Unleash your power, we discussed. <laughs> and the flower has a little head that's really sleepy, and he's got a silly crown on his head. Um, and they're like, I'm so sleepy. Why did you break my, my shield, Muscar? And Muscar's like, wake up. Wake up. No, no. All right. Here, take this energy drink brand energy drink. <laughs> you know, and, uh, energy drink, energy drink. Caffeine. Ar arginine? Arginine. Yeah. Yeah, it's a chemical. So, Muscar force feeds Nosukoshu the energy drink to wake him up, and uh, the flower completely blossoms around his form. Uh, Nagu's like, ah, oh, it's the god of dreams, Nosukoshu. This is the power of illusion that brings about sleepiness and enchantment. And Muscar is like, yeah, let's get the humans out of the way. Um, the wide-range force field controlling this area, silence of fate, is spreading illusions to all that are within it, lulling humans to sleep. Every one of them is having a dream or something they've longed for. Lowly humans are slaves to happiness. Ruru Miyanagi will not be waking up. This, of course, pisses off Magu. Uh, for, you know, Muscar trying to harm his disciple. Um, so Muscar has Nosukoshu hide in the mists and uh, then beckons to Magu to come and fight him in his true form. There's a cool battle pose thing and then an explosion in the middle of the air, but then we cut away from there. Uh, so, um, hmm. Oh, that's concerning. Um, so... <laughs> So Ren is sleeping and Naputaku is trying to wake him up and Ren's like, I've caught you, Ruru. Which that wording concerns me. 
Um, it's like the fun way. Like, ah, oh, we were playing tag and I caught you. I hope so. So, <laughs> so Naputsuku. I, yeah, I really hope so. So Naputsuku says, wow, you're really gross when you sleep talk. And then he goes to try and wake up Rin, who is dreaming of sleeping on the beach. I have to so, assume... Uh, when Noshukushu is eventually just part of the cast, she has to be connected with Rin because they oh. just feel like the perfect combo. <laughs> so Naputuka's like, You leave me no choice! I'll just have to manage the shop today! Yay, Naputuka! <laughs> I know there are bigger plot lines going on right now, but I am so fucking, I'm like, 100% like, I hope Naputuku can open the store. There won't be customers because I think everyone in town's sleeping. But I'll imagine the poor stress that little boy's going through right now. He's trying to get his hermit crabs to help out and yeah. get all the seats ready. Yay. Um, Uneris is flying around. She realizes what's going on. She can't really find her way anywhere. And then she says, I could produce a gas mask to neutralize the illusionary incense. But if I use Providence now, I will exhaust my physical body. Plus, it won't be very fashionable. Okay. So she's like, I need to go find Izuma. Izuma is dreaming about fighting Magu, so he's no good right now. So then she's like, okay, um, don't do anything rash, Magu-chan. Muscar is just itching for a fight. Magu-chan is fighting Muscar. Okay. He uh, sends out some Morphalaxis to fight for him. Uh, but Muscar is like, I thought it would come to this. Uneris used the same tactic on me previously. A battle between us superior beings who are immortal boils down to whittling away at physical strength. But in a war of attrition, I cannot lose. Protecting your moves is my expertise as a prophet. And uh, all of the Morphalactics are just attacking a mirage. Muscar attacks from behind. He uses Adjustment of Fate to call down a lightning strike, which uh, hits Magu and all of his Morphalactics. The Morphalactics dissolve, and he's all burned up and singed and starts to fall to the ground. But BS saves him before he hits the ground. <laughs> and he's a big boy now. Um, and uh, he, apparently BS detected something was wrong because his family wouldn't wake up. And so Muscar is upset about this. And Magu's like, he's the one behind the trouble, but I'm at a disadvantage. I need offerings to become my flesh and blood. Away, BS. I will restore my strength and free my disciple from fate. Hey, the battle chapter cool <laughs> yeah it's uh it's a pretty significant chapter i like a lot of the touches uh, i like this new plot um and i like the bs reading at the end it's pretty pretty sweet um yeah. i i am legitimately not kidding though when i'm like i don't fucking care if they ever find Doshukushu. i really need to know that <laughs> fucking poor naputaku is able to open up the 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 restaurant on time again knowing full well no customers will be there. <laughs> it's the principle of yeah. the thing, okay? <laughs> he doesn't know that. He's just panicking, all right? Oh, boy. All right, we have a new series running in Shonen Jump starting this week. Neru... About real ninjas, Nick. Don't you start. <laughs> Neru Way of the Martial Artist by Minya Hiraga. This is a series that ran as a digital limited series uh, sometime last year, I think. Uh, and now it's being adapted into a full run in the physical magazine. So we are starting off with Skill One, Return of the Tengu. 
Uh, okay. How do I go about this? Um, it's a martial arts series. Uh, we see a little bit of our main character uh, training with his old master guy who has no eyes. He looks very terrifying because there's so much of his face that you do see, but he has no eyes. Uh, so he's training with Nehru and uh, he's really super skilled and stuff like that. And Nehru's like, when I met, met all people who weren't like Grandpa, I was mystified. Grandpa never showed any sort of decline. And I wonder why he wasn't a freak of nature or a hermit. He was just a martial artist. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, then we see Nehru several years later in junior high. He crumbles up a future path form into a tiny ball and eats it. You shouldn't do that. Um, that's bad for you. <laughs> so he's got a, a, a buddy. Maybe that paper was printed on like um uh, like pressed chicken or something like that and he just got a lot of protein that way like it was cooked chicken but it was really thin and then like you printed on it with like i don't know what ink you could make i guess like food coloring yeah maybe like some cornstarch or something like that like it was probably healthy paper he ate that's why i hope so so <laughs> and not that it's gonna uncurl and he just shits at a piece of paper later like oh man God. what a mistake that was Ugh. Nehru uh, is grabbed by his friend Miki, who is like, hey, come over here and use your martial arts to help this girl because some some scumbags are hassling her. Uh, and this is a chance for us to meet an older woman because she's in high school. Nice. Also, they're threatening her with a bladed object. That's very bad. So Nehru. I, I really at this moment because he shows up and like stops them. And I really expected it to be because you don't really see what's going on from afar. And they said, look, they're totally harassing her. I was absolutely expecting him to have misread the situation. Right. And it just butted in. But that is not what happens, apparently. And you're like, oh, okay. well, I guess she's just the the like, no, she's fucking martial artist master. I don't really know why the scene's here. I don't know. She was humoring them, I guess. I guess. So. Nero goes to stop these guys, but a book flies out of his backpack because he's a slob who doesn't zip his backpack up when he goes anywhere. Um, and he grabs the blade object from the guy. Well, he's also walking around outside without fucking shoes. I mean, this guy, he's tracking just so much stuff with him everywhere. So, yeah, we thought that this Nero kid, you know, good shape, uh, martial art. Do you think that, you know, he would have, uh, you know, lived to be, be a, at the pinnacle of health, but uh, he was dead at uh, 16. What happened? <laughs> well, he was eating paper and uh, <laughs> running around with, you know, his, his with no shoes on and grabbing bladed objects from strangers and stuff. So, you know, uh, eventually he just like fell head over heels into a pit of blades and um he uh, was too busy reading about martial arts to do anything about it, and he just died. So uh, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> he's fascinated by this bow shuriken that this guy has, which is a good point of, like, why does he have a ninja weapon? I don't know. So then um, it turns out the girl's already gone. Uh, she has made it away, and she has gotten Nehru's book. Um, so uh, Nehru then chases off the, the guys Miki tries to talk to the high school girl and we get a good look at her and she's got really odd features just 
her eyes look weird to me. She's got Nero's book. Miki's going to ride away. And uh, she's like, why don't you tell me more about that Nero guy? And she gets on the back of his bike with him. And Miki and is like, do you drink coffee? I'd love to hear more about him. And Miki sees the universe, I think, is what happens when this when she says this. And then he's like, I know a nice cafe. I'm going to talk to a high school girl, which makes my face look weird. So, uh... Then Nehru can't find his book later, so he strips down to his underwear because he's weird like that. Um, can't find his book anywhere. Miki tells the girl about Nehru and is like, yeah, he lives really far away, out in, out in the middle of nowhere, basically. Uh, he doesn't have a TV. He doesn't have the internet or manga. The only entertainment he has at home is this. He calls it his picture book. His ancestor or something wrote it. And it's got these old school Japanese drawings of like, you know, Tengu figures and stuff. Uh, but she says, oh, it's a martial arts book. His grandfather was a and Miki's like, yeah, his grandfather was a martial artist. And like they've been training together. So he's been training his whole life and stuff. Nehru still can't find the book no matter where he looks for it. Eventually, uh, Mik the girl goes out to Nehru's home in the middle of nowhere. But uh, he's still not back. Uh, so she kind of looks around some more. She goes into a shack and finds these Oni masks and sees a bunch of scribbles as well that look vaguely like humanoid stick figure shapes in various different poses. And they're all across the wall and they're all across every surface that she can find across rocks and plaques and stuff. And uh, then we cut over to Nehru and he's drawing out an image from the picture book. And he's like, uh, there was this picture book that grandpa used to show me, but he didn't know how to read. So we would just act out the picture book. And so he starts reciting the story where he looks at this little drawing he's made. And he's like, once upon a time, there was a young boy called Rihei who was super strong. Uh, and he starts throwing the bow shuriken at a tree and he throws it really hard and it goes through the, and makes a hole in it. And, uh, Oh, his whole life. So Nehru's whole life is this picture book and martial arts. Also, there's a Buddha carving there. Yes. Um, and uh, so Nehru says to the Buddha carving, what did grandpa talk to you about? Because he would come out here and he would just sit there for hours. You guys had like conversations, right? What was with that? And the Buddha statue says, who are you calling creepy? But it turns out it's not the Buddha statue. It's a masked figure who is clearly the high school girl that Nero rescued earlier. But Nero doesn't pay attention to people, so he doesn't recognize her because she's wearing a mask that perfectly hides her identity, even though she's wearing the same uniform and is the same height and has the same hair. So one she's of those, got one book. of those masks that covers just the eyes and then the rest of her outfit is way more memorable. So you're just it's like it was like oh she could have been anybody she was wearing like a sweatpants and a t-shirt or something like no she was wearing that school uniform of the person i saved from muggers earlier today and she had the same very long hair and like thigh high stockings and everything like that and you know who could she be anybody she introduced herself as akebi haiba uh and nara's like haiba oh do you know who i am no okay then so um, so she says, I didn't know there was another martial artist in this town and she has some swords with her. And she says, let me tell you an old legend. 
once upon a time, there was a young boy called Rihei who was incredibly strong. And oh my God, it's the same story that Neru was reciting before. And so they start reciting the story together, but they don't just recite the story together. They start acting out the, the images in it and they're fighting just like they fought in the story. And oh, swords and and ooh, and shuriken, and and oh my gosh, Hypa is so fast that Nero is like, oh my gosh, she's so fast. Uh, but also, she recognizes that uh, Nero is moving exactly how the drawings on the inscriptions on the wall were like. So she realizes those scribbles were his lessons. They're how he learned to move. But he's still got lots to learn. And she smashes his sword out of his hands and knocks him to the ground and then pins him down with the sword embedded in the ground just next to his head. And the uh, story comes to a conclusion with, oh, and Rie killed the bandit, basically. But then she lets him up, and she says, sorry, I got swept up in the nostalgia. Nehru's like, oh my gosh, what is this feeling? I've got to take notes. And he starts carving more diagrams immediately into a rock. And Haiba's like, I get it. This is how you train in martial arts. And Nehru's like, that's right. Martial arts are awesome. <laughs> Incredibly awesome. <laughs> and he says, I want to be even better. And Haiba's like, do you want to be better than me? And then she says, Neruma Isami, I'll put an end to your boredom. And Nehru narrates, the one I'm most grateful for there are moments in life when we're stuck to the core, but the one moment I'm most grateful for is the day that she found me. And then we cut to a couple of days later, and uh, basically, Nehru is going to go and join a martial arts dojo place. And wouldn't you know it, there's been one not too far this whole time. You just have to go up these really high steps, and up on the mountainside, there is this dojo where young martial artists train, and uh, it's Nehru's journey's beginning. Woo! I I would like it if it becomes a legitimate plot point that this fucking dork just like never asked anybody about martial artists, and that's yeah. why he's like, "Oh man, I wasted all my years of my life doing this. There are so many people I could have been fighting this whole time." Um, what did you think about this series, Nick? Because we discovered recently that you really like martial arts series. I thought this was really boring. <laughs> um, I saw a little bit of the chat about uh, on our Discord about this series, and uh, most people were like, "Yeah, there's not really anything that sets it apart." But I guess that you know sometimes you just want to do a martial arts series, and that's just kind of it. And yeah, I totally get that. What gets me about this is not that the premise is something that doesn't seem exceptional in comparison to other martial arts series. It is just that. God, the main character's boring. Yeah. It's just nothing. And I don't really want to follow him on any journey that he goes on because he does not leave any impression on me whatsoever. Some people have noted the series has kind of an old school vibe to it. And I definitely can see that in some of the writing and drawing and, and different aspects. Uh, in particular, there's that scene where he kicks the bully it's kind of tough to tell where his leg's going, but he gets, like, a three-point contact and a single shot. And I was like, I feel like that's almost exactly like a scene in, like, JoJo or something like that. And then I just 
couldn't stop thinking about how much more interesting Joseph is Joseph. as a character than this guy. I was like, I don't know, man. Just give him something. Like I don't know, like a like a quirk or something at this point. As it is now, he's like, I don't watch TV and I like martial arts. And I'm like, those aren't real those are interests. Those aren't personality traits. Yeah. yeah um Yeah, that's about it. I, I don't have anything else to say about this, and I'm disappointed. Um, well, Nick, let's we'll get see. that disappointment over by talking about Nine Balls Dragon Prey. Nothing to feel bad about oh, there. I didn't get it right all the way till the end, Nick. <laughs> Chapter 20, Our Baseball. The score is tied between Kokoryuzan and one-man team, Benny Coma. So it's Kokoryuzan's turn up to bat in the top of the ninth, and they're like, all right, we've got a chance here. Uh, but Hikibe is like, no, I'm, a, I'm, I'm determined not to give up any, any freaking runs or anything. He strikes out the first two batters and that brings up Surugi and immediately he just walks him like, nope, I am not taking any chances and it's okay because the next guy up at the plate is just some nobody, but it's not just some nobody. It's Shuhei, vice captain on his old team, guys. Mr. Reliable. Yeah. Super reliable. And he does something that is incredibly very baseball, which is he just stays in the count until the guy walks him by fouling off pitches that are in the strike zone and watching for balls so that he can get an unintentional walk. So that advances Surugi to second base. So there are two outs with men in first and second, and Azakita is up to bat next. And so he he could say is just like, all right, he's just a weak hitter. I don't have to worry about him. Yeah, he's smart, but he's just an average kid in terms of batting. So but Azu is looking at him from the plate and he said and he thinks to himself, you know, you're really incredible because, you know, all by yourself, you hit home runs, you strike out batters, you don't depend on your team, you hold the team up, and you've calculated how to embody a player with the skills to single-handedly achieve victory. But you also know that you have to rest when you can if you hope to get through this whole tournament. And those pitches you've been striking us out with, your famous fat ba- fastballs, they eat away your arm stamina. And I noticed something when I was reviewing film on you, Toward the end of the game, when you think the batter isn't a threat, you have a tendency to throw curveballs because they aren't as much of a strain on your arm. And sure enough, Ibose throws a curveball and Azukita is ready for it and he makes really firm contact with it. It's a really cool full page spread that we get of him doing it. Yep. Uh, just if him in the follow through uh, as he's making contact. And it's uh, uh, it bounces through the infield, gets through the gap, Tsurugi rounds third and is safe at home plate. So Kokoryuzan takes a one-run lead. And then some schmuck gets out. I don't know. Uh, so, so, bomb of the ninth. It's Ryudo still at on the mound. And so they're like, oh no. Ibuse is our leadoff bet hitter. And our first up to bat is the seventh in the rotation. So if they get three straight outs he's not even going to have a chance to hit for us. And so he thinks immediately like it's over. I, I, we, I wasn't enough to do it. I've let us down. And the catcher on the team comes and sits down next to him. And he's like, Hey, do you remember what you told me when you joined the team? 
He said, you just have to be able to catch my pitches and I'll take us to Koshian. And the catcher says, I think we were all relying on you too much. You know, you on your awesome pitching, on your powerful words. And, you know, if we'd all worked as hard as you, if we'd all worked as hard as you, Mizumaki, then maybe, (laughs) (laughs) maybe we could have gone to the Christmas Bowl. But unfortunately, we're not all tall boys like you. So, but he's like, you know, I think this game would have been different if we'd all, you know, contributed to the team as much as you did. And I really appreciate you know, how incredible you are. And I want this country to acknowledge how awesome you are, too. I want us to go to Koshian together. And he is the ninth in the order. There are two outs. He's their last gas to try and get on base. Just get on base so Ibusa can get up on t- to the plate and they can ha- have a chance to take the lead. And Rito sees the guy and how determined he is. He's like, this guy's going to be kind of tough to get out. But it's okay. We've got this. We can't let them win. And he gets two strikes, and he's like, come on, I just need to hit the ball. I just need to hit the ball so that Hibuse can take over and bring us to victory. And as he's getting ready to, Ryuta's getting ready to throw his third pitch, Hibuse calls out to the catcher and is like, hey, I'm counting on you. And the catcher's like, yeah, I got this. And Ryuta throws the ball, and he swings, and he gets full contact on it. And oh my god, it's, it's good, it's great. But Ryuta is smirking. And he's like, and he thinks to himself, baseball's great. The pitcher doesn't have to do it all alone. He's got eight teammates backing him up. And And Tsubaki! And we saw seven of them in this game. There were two others. (laughs) I'm sure they were also helpful. (laughs) Tsubaki finally gets his moment in this game. He makes a difficult catch at the shortstop position. And gets the final out that they need to secure a victory. And Kokoryu's on wins. And that's it. They they advance through the tournament. Ibuse is disappointed. But we don't really see a whole lot of that. You know, he we see him, you know, talking with his teammates briefly. All of Kokoryu's on gathers around Tsubaki. And is like, good job. Yeah, our hero. Yeah, yeah. And Tsubaki's like, yeah, I'm the star of the universe. Like, yes, yes, yeah. Good for you. Um, And... Uh, we get one last joke from Glass's shortstop, who's like, ha, huh, what a loud mouth. And they're like, hey, you're looking at the umpire. I don't know how you could possibly make that mistake. <laughs> I also like it more because they got crushed by this team. <laughs> so it's, it's, why are we even acting arrogant to begin with? Oh, so they do a bow between the teams. Kokoryuzan advances to the quarterfinals of the tournament. Azukita looks up into the stands and he sees Shiro looking down on them from up in the stands. He's wearing an all-white suit like a prick. Uh, <laughs> it's just a hideous thing. Like, if that tie isn't at least a different color or at least a shirt, that is fucking hideous. Ugh. So, Azu thinks to himself as he looks up at Shiro, I learned something when I was little. Strong guys are cool. In the past, the things I wanted, I can never grasp. But now, I can say one thing with con- confidence. And as he's thinking this, everyone of, on Kokoryuzan is kind of gathering around. They're noticing, like, hey, hey, look, it's that asshole. Hey, Tsurugi, tell him off. And Tsurugi's like, no, that's not my character. I'm the stoic one who just hits good. No, I'm not going to do that. And so everyone gathers around, including the manager, Kareen. And Azukita looks up at Shiro, and he thinks, if back then I could see us now, I'd want to be on the Nine Dragons team. 
And as a team, they call up to Shiro, we'll see you at the championship. And that's the end of Nine Dragons Ball Parade. Nick, I can't wait for the next chapter when we start it's... getting closer to that match. God, sometimes disappointing series just do this thing where they're like, hey, you feel bad we're getting canceled? You feel bad? Could have been really good if we had given us more time. Well, yes, I know. <laughs> wait, Nick, we're going to get a chapter next week, right? It seems like it should, yes. <laughs> I, I, actually, from what I've heard, there is going to be like a bonus story thing that comes out later down the line, which we might not get because we don't always get these bonus things when they come out uh, on the English uh, Shonen Jump service. But uh, yeah, so Nine Dragons Belt Parade ended. We were thinking it would end probably around here, I don't know, two months ago. So <laughs> Ended? No, hold on a second. I'm going to cash in my veto in the bank and bring it back. That's I mean, how it works, right? I mean, show to jump. Come and get it. It's right here. I, it says I can do anything. I'm going to turn this off. It's too loud. I'm, pre I'm pretty sure it doesn't say that, but okay. Oh, damn. All right. Well, I guess we're just going to save this so I can bring Nero into the recap. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> fucking dare. So what do we think about Nine Dragons Ball Parade? I liked it. It was kind of slow at points, but I'm sure that if it had been given the time to get past those slow moments, then it would have proven itself worth the wait. Uh, and I feel like this chapter shows flashes of that. And I feel like it, this sequence would have been much more satisfying if we had had more time dedicated to seeing this kind of stuff play out, having more big moments interspersed across a wider number of chapters and everything. You know, some some series just develop in a way where it's like you got to give them time in order to have set up to then get a good payoff. And unfortunately, uh, this one didn't, you know, endear itself enough to people to ex let them give it that amount of rope. So, yes. oh, well, um, it is unfortunate. Sometimes things don't catch on. Sometimes good things just don't get that attention. Um, but we could still like. I try not to be super negative. I try to be like, you know, at least we got the stuff that we did get. It was pretty good. So I can always look forward to remembering that part. Yes. <clears throat> okay. Let's move on from there to Dr. Stone. <laughs> Time to get stone, Nick. Z equals 203. Missile heart. Uh, we get the first results from the popularity poll for the series, at least the Japanese results. Apparently, Gen is super popular over in Japan, so good for him. Um, I mean, he is one of the more important characters, but the fact that he's number one more popular even than Senku is pretty crazy. At a time where he has not had a like incredibly significant scene either in quite some time. Like, I'm, I guess he had the bit with Zeno in his lab. and Maybe that just feels like ages ago, but like that feels like ages ago to me. So like, I guess maybe that's what people are going off of. It might also have to do with the fact that, you know, now the anime's come out more of an audience has been introduced to him, but True. I don't know. Okay. Uh, so we, uh, the, everyone's in Spain in Barcelona and the, we've, I think we're through with all of the Spanish stereotypes now, because as everyone's just mining for fluoride and everything, uh, and they're like, okay, now that we got fluorite, we can have a really powerful telescope. Cool. Uh, and also we can start working on rockets and everything. Kaseki's like, 
Now, once we know where Wyman is, this baby will fly us up there. The rocket he's built is about uh, 10 feet tall, so um, it's uh, they need to make a bigger one. But hey, it's a miniature rocket. They can use it, uh, you know, to, uh, in conjunction with a prototype of Dr. Zeno's test engine, and we can uh, use it to do a test launch. Cool. So there's that. And uh, they're like, okay, so the next place we got to go is to establish Math City in India. So Chrome brings up, okay, so how are we going to get there? And uh, they explain we would have to go all the way around the African Cape, the Cape of Good Hope, to get there normally. Um, and Ryusui brings up the problem that with the new Perseus, we're going through fuel really fast because there's a giant rocket on it. So if we are going to do that, we can't make it past that cape all the way to India. So they bring up another possibility, which is to use the Suez Canal. But they're like, okay, this uh, might have been completely blocked up, though, because it has been used for thousands of years. And maybe the geography has changed. Maybe, you know, stuff has shifted and like land has risen in parts of it. And we won't be able to traverse that canal. So might not be a good idea. But they're like, well, we've got Dr. Chelsea and her awesome geography ability to look through a telescope. So maybe she can help us out with this. So they get a hot air balloon going. They float Chelsea up into the air and she looks through the new telescope that they've got. And she starts scanning the uh, run of the Suez Canal. And she's like, no, nope, no, nope, something's been blocked. But she says, well, hold on. It's a dead end that we would hit. But the sea route is still there. It's just that there is a dam made up of dead trees and junk in the way at a certain point. So they realize, okay, it's just a bunch of debris and stuff that's all been deposited there because it's all been washing down the river, not being maintained for nearly 4,000 years, and that's all eventually blocked stuff up. Or maybe some beavers were like, fuck all of this, we're going to block this place. I don't know. I think it's meant to be debris because the I don't know if there are beavers in that location i know but i just saw a well, dam and immediately uh, i was like giant beavers i i assumed it was that as well at first and i was like it's kind of fucked up to just launch a missile at this thing as we'll get to in a second if there's something potentially living inside of it but i guess if the implication is just to breathe and yeah whatever so they say so if we got that out of the way that'd be good but we'll need to actually secure the route before we actually start traveling it. Otherwise, we'll just, you know, if we couldn't clear stuff, we just have to turn around. So Senku's like, ah, that means we need to clear it from here. Let's fire a missile. <laughs> and like all of the people born in the Stone Age are like, I don't understand what's happening as they're launching the missile. And they're using an Xbox controller to guide this missile because, of course, they are. Uh, and so they launched this freaking missile at this naturally occurring dam and um, they guide it directly into this, the wood. These blows up. scientists of light, as uh, Senku yes. called himself. Yeah, it's a very good, good thing that we do blowing this shit up. It's very so. good. We've developed ballistic missiles. <laughs> it's yes. a good thing we've done. We're blasting into the future. What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess they're going to go to India, and we're going to be introduced to a whole new set of stereotypes. <laughs> oh, man. It, like, 
I'm starting to get like actively anxious now when new chapters of Doctor Stone came out come out because I'm like, oh, please don't be really insensitive. Please don't, <laughs> please don't be really racist. <laughs> um. Anyway, let's talk about a series that has none of that going on right now. Uh, instead, talks about capybaras. Uh, chapter sixty nine. Nice, 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 nice. Of Mashal, magic and muscles. Walbert Boggin and the magic of time. So we have this showdown continuing between uh, Innocent Zero and Wahlberg. They've both kind of revealed some of their, their tricks up their sleeves, but uh, it's not not going exactly easy. Wahlberg uh, basically removed the space that he was in to kind of teleport behind Innocent Zero and do an attack, but Innocent Zero rewinds time and then kind of erases, like, ages part of Wahlberg's body is his left side gets very wrinkled and, and decrepit. Um, I forget the term they use for it. Same thing Bargon used in Bleach. Um, I don't know. Anyway, he does that, and Innocent Zero says, next time it'll be your legs, Wahlberg. And Wahlberg's just like, ah, he's exploiting the opening of my attacks, not to mention the frequency with which he's casting those powerful time spells. How powerful have you grown, you monster? It seems I must use all my magic to cut this space. And he uses these long swaths of, of space cutting. And he says, not enough to keep him from abusing the time lag. I must cut this space further. And we just see these giants, uh, sort of uh, circles of space being erased over and over again. And he does all that. And it is behind him. He's like, time three rounds. It's going to take longer than that to defeat me. And he ages Wahlberg even more, kind of erasing the entire left side of his body. He just says, it's useless, Wahlberg. The difference between us is too great. I prioritize myself and my ambitions. There's no sacrifice I won't make. But you're always watching those around you and never put yourself first. Those without ego are weak, Wahlberg. You doomed yourself by letting others in. It's too bad. And Wahlberg thinks... Is one... It's time for a flashback. <laughs> yeah, it's time for my sad before you know, I die. This, time, this reminds me of something. <laughs> he says, is one's life really only for oneself? And he talks about how he, when he was born, he had a very frail body, and his grades weren't outstanding. He was kind of cowardly, so he never went to school. Uh, there just wasn't any place for him. And then he had a lack of confidence that made him very nervous. He didn't want to be rejected by others, so to prevent himself from that, he just decided to reject them first. He was like, I will live over uh, over here, and I will just always pessimistically kind of view the world as this bland, boring thing. Well, then, over everyone's faces, yeah. so I never recognize <laughs> who they are. And then Adam Jobs shows up, and he says, Did you know Cafe Bars can run 50 kilometers per hour? Come to school! Are you sure about that? <laughs> Nick, why would he lie? He's a magician. <laughs> uh, and this is how their relationship started. Basically, every day, Adam Jobs would come in, burst in to see him without his permission, and bring some strange animal trivia with him. Do you know dolphins drown if they sleep? Come to school. That's not do, true. <laughs> do you know... Do you know... Uh, Pigs can't look up Pigs. in the sky. I, 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 my eyes are really bad. Come to school. I just like everyone's. Come to school. And uh, 
he just says he came no matter how many times I rejected him, no matter how bad the weather was or how bad I was. He tried to improve himself with me. I don't know. The one shot of him punching you in the back of the head is <laughs> less endearing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he says time and time again. And then one day I asked him, why? Why do you go so far from me? And he says, well, I guess I just can't leave you alone. And hearing that, and then he says, did you know rabbits eat their own poop each morning? Come to school. <laughs> and he uh, smiles. And uh, Adam Job says, did you smile? Was it the poop? And I was like, ah, oh, yes. That martial humor that I'm always waiting for. <laughs> uh, so we cut back to the present. And Wahlberg says, live for yourself if that's what you truly desire. But I'm only alive due to the goodwill of others, which is why I can never ignore those weaker than myself. And he says that he is going to cast this spell, even though it will cost him his life. Space is thirds. Uranus inclination. You know, I just can't get into uh, Yu-Gi-Oh again. There's too many of these ridiculous boss monsters, you know, so I... It was... uh... It was bad enough when they introduced Secadits, but now that there's third spells as well, it's it's a lot. It uh, You have to cast it's... these ones upside down from the top of your deck, but that's actually the bottom of your deck. It's fucking weird. So this is a pretty crazy looking thing. Uh, I do like the inter- interplay between uh, uh, Wahlberg and his master. Uh-huh. Um, it's a very humanizing thing that, like, you know, he's essentially, like just as weirdly demented as all the characters in Mashal are, but he's still in that meant a lot to Wahlberg. Um, It's a weird way of, you know, getting across like the sentimentality of it, while also just being very weirdly humorous the way that Mashal normally is. So, yeah, I mean, I enjoy the chapter. It's what I've been saying for a while. We need to give context for the third Hokage before he dies. Like, it, it's just inevitable at this point, but I do still enjoy the execution. I also enjoy that we get a little bit of the martial humor in there. It's just such a fun gimmick that this guy comes up with stupid animal facts, says them, and every time's like, come to school! <laughs> <laughs> like, he goes out in the middle of a fucking hurricane just so he could be like, you know, ostriches bury their head in the sand, come to school! <laughs> He's like, like, no, no. I don't think that's true or whatever. Like, I don't think that's exactly how it happens. Did you know the squids are just octopi that got that had plastic surgery? Come to school. <laughs> oh, he just lies. He's, he's like, yo, cats can fly. Come to school. <laughs> I bet you they're really lazy. <laughs> Pigs are come to school. <laughs> Did you know that Winnie the Pooh would actually eat all the other people in the Hundred Acre Wood if you were a real bear? Come to school. <laughs> it's dark now. <laughs> Wayne the Pooh would be friends of any of them. He would eat them all. Come to school! What about Tigger? Oh, he'd eat them too. If Clifford was really that large, he would be a menace to everyone around him and destroy so much property it wouldn't be worth owning him. In fact, humanitarily, the only thing we should do ethically would be to bring down a monster of that size. Come to school! (laughs) Wishbone had the ability to travel back in time, but he didn't free the slaves. What's up with that? Come to school! (laughs) <laughs> he didn't stop 9-11 bad dog come to school <laughs> I don't like these lessons anymore oh my god alright let's move on <laughs> it's 
move on to the Elusive Samurai, Chapter 23, Homage, 1334. You get a cute little cover page of uh, the uh, Elusive Warriors as uh, school kids going to school, except for <laughs> Akaba, who's in a freaking sewer, <laughs> poking his head out of the manhole. Um, so, it's the end of the battle. Uh, Tokiyuki has defeated... Oh, gosh. I should actually remember this guy's name because it turns out it may be kind of important. Hang on. Let me cut ahead a little bit. Sorry, I just wanted to get that in there, too. Tokyuki has defeated Shokan. It looks like he's dead. And Tokyuki, of course, is grateful to Fubuki. And Kojiro and Ayako are like, oh, wow, you just like scratched him on the arm and just ran around. Yay for the cowardly sword. And Tokyuki's like, don't call it that. It's a cool sword technique. I can fight now. So Fubuki's like, all right, things are going great. If we, you know, spread the word that we've defeated their leader, the bandits will lose morale. They'll flee. So we've basically won now. But oh, no, reinforcements have arrived. And it's Sanamune leading the charge, and he immediately spots Tokiyuki and fires an arrow at him. Like, it's the first glance at him that he gets. Um, Kojiro and Ayako and Shizuku immediately start berating him because uh, this is a very serious manga that never gets into weirdly timed humor, like in the middle of a bloody samurai battle. Um, and they're like, hey, what are you doing invading people's territory? He's like, we're at war! Come on! <laughs> And Shizuka's like, I like to watch a snake swallow your eyeballs. All right, Robin. Okay, so um, Fubuki realizes, oh man, this is bad. Reinforcements have arrived from Sadamune, and you know, all of our allies are busy handling the bandits. We can't redirect them. You know, the, I guess we're just going to have to regroup our forces and just flee away from them. But then they spot a line of torches from a force arriving from the south. And of course, hooray! It's reinforcements from Sua Shrine that are all coming in. And uh, so, Moe is me like, God damn it, we get, get, call back Shokan's men. We aren't prepared to actually confront the entire main force of Sua. So everyone starts fleeing. Uh, as they start to leave, Sadamune spots the blood on the inside of the door where Tokyuki fought with Shokan. He's like, what the hell happened there? Um, she, Yorishige uh, is getting orders and issuing orders and stuff like that. We are introduced very, very briefly to his son, who is like clearly an adult and a commander in the force. But it, I mean, that's all we learn about him. He goes away now, so that kind of gives us an idea. Like, huh, Yorishige is old enough to have like an adult kid. Okay, so uh the he rides up to immediately in front of tokyuki dismounts and the first thing he does is he just grabs tokyuki in a hug he's relieved that he's not hurt and uh tokyuki's like um yeah you're hurting me don't squeeze me so tight yeah so then um akaba says you should be thankful to me because i rode like crazy to get here in time and I almost died when I had a nosebleed when I passed a sexy girl on the way here. Well, I do like that uh, the response is then that would kill you, which is the sensible response as opposed to One Piece where it was a plot point. 
Yeah, it was a medical emergency. So, uh, what is it? Where does this come from? I, I I don't know if it's because of Ace that I I've never experienced sexual arousal to such a degree that my nose spontaneously explodes with blood. But where does this uh, entire myth or whatever come from? Hmm. I don't really know. I've noticed it primarily in like anime and manga and stuff. So, Nick, uh, have you ever seen someone so sexually attractive to you that you spontaneously geysered blood out of your nose? I mean, the only times I've ever blood bled from my nose were when I was an idiot and I scratched it when I was picking it. So, you know. In the visual language of Japanese anime and manga, sudden violent nosebleed indicates that the bleeding person is sexually aroused. But like, but where did it like, I know it's an anime manga thing, but like, what was the start? Like fucking Astro Boy just saw a panty, like a skirt get flipped up and he was like, or whatever. Like eventually fucking the dude was just like, I didn't mean I spilled ink on the page. (laughs) My child's not a pervert, I swear. Uh, According to this article. The trope comes from an old wives' tale that when a teenager filled to the brim with hormones sees something arousing, their blood pressure rises to the point that it causes a nosebleed. Yasuji Tanioka's humorous comics from the 60s are thought to be the trope's earliest inclusion in manga. Well, take it from somebody whose blood pressure was so bad they had a stroke. I don't think that's what happens. Okay, so, anyway. Elusive Samurai. Uh, um, so, they, they that happens. And uh, then uh, Tokiyuki introduces Yoroshige to Fubuki. And Yoroshige's like, oh, I, I should reward him. Tokiyuki's like, I want him to be my retainer. And Fubuki is immediately like, hey, you know, I can't really be your friend. I, I, I can't really be your retainer. I can be your friend, but that's it. I, the only one that I can possibly have as my lord is someone who's going to, like, try and, like, be a ruler. So I could serve Yoroshige, maybe. But then Yoroshige, like, grabs him and he's like this guy's the real ruler so that, you know, none of his forces will overhear any of this. And Tokiki's like, yeah, I'm the last survivor of the Hojo clan. And yeah, I want to rule the land. And uh, Fubuki takes this news incredibly well by spewing his food everywhere because he was munching on food because that's one of his character traits. Yeah. But Fubuki's like, oh man, I knew that he was hiding something, but this is pretty crazy. And uh, if he really is from the Hojo line, all those characteristics, his kind heart, his fleet-footedness, could be formidable weapons. This is intense. And it's so intense that fire is in the background behind him. Yes. Oh. So Fubuki's like, you know, I eat a lot, but, so I hope that won't be a problem. And he bows before Tokiyuki, who accepts him into as his latest retainer. So, hooray! I guess he is getting another retainer. Yep. We cut away from there to. I do. Sada- I, I do want to note the also the very cute thing in it where uh, the priestess comes in and is like, you know, you can eat rice, not millet there, and he's like, holy shit, sounds like paradise. <laughs> he's really excited about that. And Kojiro is like, I don't know if this guy is smart or stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has their own strengths. With Sadamune's forces, Shokan ain't dead. He survived all the blood loss after he passed out, and now he's being carted around by forces on a makeshift hammock thing. And he's he says to uh, to Sadamune, why did you come? And Sadamune says, well, I heard that you were wasting time pillaging a village, so I knew that Yorishige would come and intervene. And why the hell did you do that? 
you know, why did you just go off killing villagers? You know, land without anyone to work it provides no tax revenue. And Shoka, but he does admit that, hey, that was a good place to attack. Your eye for strategy is great. I will grant you a small domain where you may sharpen your fangs in preparation for the coming clash with Sua. But I forbid further banditry. Instead, serve me as a proper warrior. And Shokan is still thinking about the image of the Buddha that he saw when he was fighting Tokiyuki. And he just, impa- just passively says, as you wish. And so the band of rogues gradually disappeared into the ranks of the military. This period marked the final flourishing of the wild bandit samurai. We cut back to Tokiyuki. Uh, he and a number of people from uh, Yorishige's uh, group all say a prayer for all of the villagers that were killed. And Tokiyuki also is left to think about the fact that some of the warriors that were helping them in the conflict died because he wanted to defend the village. And he just thinks to himself, I've got to keep that in mind. People died because of my decision. It's a very short little thing, but it's like, oh. That's really nice that he, you know, has that quality to him. Yeah, that's a pretty important one. Yorishige calls him over and he says, I want to express my gratitude to you and also to apologize. As Fubuki mentioned, the village was a weak point no one noticed, so I'll establish a garrison there. Uh, The shrine will shelter the orphans for a time. They look up to you and Fubuki, so they won't object to this arrangement. And... I exposed you to danger, so I should be honest with you about my condition. Sometimes they can't see the future, and he says, you know, sometimes it's indistinct, but sometimes it disappears entirely. You can't tell anyone this, because divine power depends upon belief, and the faithful rely upon that power. And additionally, I would like your assistance in reclaiming my ability. I want you to learn about the source of my strength. The world still contains a mysterious power the likes of which... Neither might nor intellect can measure. And then he turns, as the chapter ends, to look out of the panel at the reader and say, but don't expect a plot twist like I can throw fireballs or anything like that. And that's where the chapter ends. (laughs) Exactly where it should. What a note. So that's the end of this little arc that we were on in the Elusive Samurai, and it looks like... uh, We've got a little setup for the next quest that Tokyuki and company will need to set out on. Yeah, it was a fun little chapter and a fun little plop thing. And I do like that that one dude's still kind of alive because they're like, hey, we can actually use you. Yep. He was uh, an established enough character that, uh, yeah, maybe keep him around. Bring him back eventually. Yeah. Let's move on, Nick, to Black Clover, page 298, Transient Life. So, uh, is back. Uh, she's in a full, fully realized form, or just about fully realized form at the moment. And, uh, Noelle opens a chapter. i be like, how are you here? Only one of the gates to the underworld is open. She explains that the gates are insurance. My true goal is to manifest through the curse warding magic, malevolent, malevolent femcantation. Uh, so basically, I need to do some stuff. And she explains... <laughs> All right, so it started with your mom. Cursing her to death allowed me to partially manifest in Vanica's body. Then there's Vanica, made a contract with me as Supreme Devil, and because she's near death, I'm able to emerge like this, though it's incomplete. And then there's little Pachika, who I also have cursed, 
when Vanica and Little Pachika die, then I completely manifest in this world. Uh, and she shows off some of her devil water magic, the Hydra of Trakneros. So that's also a new Yu-Gi-Oh card that just came out. You ought to check it out in the set. Uh, it's also, that's that's one that actually starts outside of your deck, but not in your fusion summons or XYZ deck. It actually starts hidden somewhere in the room, and you have to find <laughs> it before you can cast it. <laughs> You've got to, like, uh, do uh, an escape room thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So they're just like, oh, my God. And she's like, yeah, I only tinkered with the magic a little bit and made her a devil. I thought I'd give her some good magic or good memories before she dies. So Noelle's like, how dare you? I'll defeat you right here. And she sends out her attack and uh, the curse warning magic just decays the attack. And she's like, in my current state. The power and speed of this spell's effect are beyond comparison with what they were before. Uh, and that's when Charlotte uses some of her rose and says, As if I'd let anything else go your way. And uh, Magicula compliments her, saying, You were the first to ever oppose my curse. You were a splendid king of Queen of Briars. And Rill stands up and says something stupid. Yep. He, he makes a spell that actually looks very cool. Picture magic, Twilight Valhalla. It is a very, very cool, pretty picture against Curse Warning Magic Unbound Slave. Uh, but basically, like, a bunch of black tendril things kind of shoot out and zap everybody. Uh, Gaja, or Raja, I always forget this character's yeah. name, shows up, and he says, True Lightning Magic, Nadara's do Astraza! Uh, and he's like, yes, when you said you would never learn attack, bell, attack spells, I decided I would become the strongest offensive mage in the Heart Kingdom in order to destroy our enemies. And it just gets fucking stabbed through the chest by uh, evil Lolo Pachika, which is pretty sad. And uh, Noelle just says, everyone! And then all of her magic fades away and her spirit dive has come un- undone. And Somehow ma- she gets more clothes. Yes, that is the weird way it works. She has pants now, uh, which is, I guess, an upgrade to that spell failing. Uh, and Regicula just says, you lose. She doesn't, say, she doesn't say it like the virtual fighter like uh, announcer would, but... You lose. <laughs> um, this is a pretty good chapter in terms of establishing, oh, shit, screwed now. What are they going to do? How are them Duke boys going to get out of this? But... Um, and I do like a couple of the details here and there. Um, I do like that Megacula actually establishes like this is why I'm getting stronger and this is what means that I'm going to fully arise now. And I do actually really like when Raja goes to attack uh, Lolopeshka, but he hesitates. Like he's like, I've, I've been training for all of this, but then he sees her and he can't help but think of her, of who Lolopeshka actually is. And that moment's hesitation lets her strike him down and... Mm-hmm. Probably kill him. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I don't really see any way that they're getting out of this situation unless someone else just saves their butts. So I assume someone else is going to. I don't know who it is at this point, but I imagine someone else is going to show up and, and help take her down. Um, I hope Tapata is taking care of himself, though. This is another one of those really short chapters, only 11 pages long. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he's uh, taking good care of himself. A lot of details and and uh, and a lot of the designs on stuff. Yeah. So as like it actually felt like a full chapter at least. So that's did. that's a good thing. All right, we're gonna conclude things then with One Piece 
chapter 1018 Jimbe versus who's who i just had a moment where i was like looking at the chapter number and i was like in my one piece reread i'm like on chapter 800 something like i still have 200 chapters of this fucking series to go and apparently has been going very well by the way of uh if you should follow Chris on Twitter at Rolo T. Yeah. He's been tweeting about his uh, rereading. He just finished up uh, Dress Rosa recently and had a lot of nice, uh, in retrospect, insights to give. Yes. So, so uh, some of the headliners that, of course, have fallen to the millet dumplings that are now joining with the samurai army. A bunch of people see Tama and are like, maybe if we kill her, this will all this magic will be undone. So, of course, Usopp's like, we've got to protect her. And, they, and he picks her up and starts running away with, with Nami. Fortunately, of course, having a bunch of gifters on their side means that they can cover their escape. Daifugo, the scorpion guy, uh, helps out. There's a kind of other, there's a kind of cute moment where uh, he takes out some of them. And th- then Tom's like, oh, hi, Daifugo. And he just goes, thumbs up to her. <laughs> That's it. Uh, Horse Lena arrives at that moment and has, and Tama and Nami get on her back because she starts speeding away with them. Usopp's like, what about me? And has to run after them because he's Usopp. Yes. Um, uh, some, one of the goat, I believe he was a goat guy, is running along with them. And he says that, yeah, we saw Komachio knocked out before, but we, we took care of it. Don't worry about it. And uh, then... Uh, so they're like, oh man, it's, it's great that we've got new friends on the battlefield. And Zeus comes out of Nami's climb attack and says, can I be your servant like before Nami? And Nami's like, what do you mean? No. But what do you say to sidekick? She gives him a little wink. He's like, aw, that's nice. Uh, and he starts, you know, clearing the path for them, zapping people with his electricity and stuff. Uh, we see a little bit more of the conflict and then cut away to all of the observers of all of this. And uh, they say that, uh, you know, when you add a thousand traders and casualties each, the, the difference between them drops. It's now, it was 30,000 to 20,000, but now it's 16,000 versus 9,000. And white may grow further depending on the gifter's efforts. Whichever side wins does not matter to us, but there is one death. We must confirm before this is over. And another one of them says, are you sure it's him? That classified intelligence he ran off with was old, and there's no real harm to the government. But one of them says, yeah, but doesn't set a good precedent to say that you can escape from us and and live to tell the tale. Assuming he does survive, he is fighting Jimbei after all. And, of course, they are talking about who's who's right-hand man. I don't know. One of the young important guys that shot Jimbei before, maybe. I think um, they're talking about who's who themselves. I, I don't know. <laughs> so. Um, okay. So, then we get a fight scene. Yes. For the rest of the chapter. So, who's who is using the various CP9 abilities he uses Moonwalk to dr- dash around through the air. Um, and, uh, Jimbe's like, so you were telling me that thing before in the last chapter, do you bear a grudge against Luffy? And who's who says, well, my grudge is technically against the person who stole the gum gum fruit, red haired shanks. Uh, he fires a fang pistol where he like bites and it launches an energy version of his chomping teeth out at Jimbe and Jimbe tries to be a cool badass and knock one of them aside with his arm in hockey. 
but the fang draws blood <sighs> even through it. So this is a, this is a serious attack that he's fa- fending off now. And who's who starts launching bite blast things, his fang pistol, while talking, which must be very difficult. So you just be, but both the strong <laughs> But he points out um, that Luffy has, you know, inherited some stuff from Shanks. So, of course, he's passed on the grudge to Luffy as well and anyone associated with him. These bites are crazy because they're even going through the floor and affecting people on the floor below them. Um, and, uh, who's who starts mocking Jinbei saying, ah, your color of armament can't even stop my, my, my fang pistol. You made the right decision to dodge because your armament hockey won't stop those fangs from tearing you apart. Uh, and then he says, I'm surprised to see how quickly you move on land, Jinbei, you know, for a fish man. <laughs> and Jinbei says, don't you know casual racism against fishmen is out of style these days? It's, you know, he had a show on NBC and uh, it just got canceled. You can't say that stuff nowadays. Who's who? What's going on, man? You know what's up. You know the environment you're in. Now, he says he was he, he had taken too much Ambien before this fight, so he just wasn't really himself. Oh, 50 years ago, we would have had you. Yeah, all that shit. So <laughs> who's who uh, says, well, there's something I wanted to ask you. And he uses an iron body ability and then launches himself towards Jimbei using Fang Flash. And he just charges really quickly and just tries to bite Jimbei, who clusters, huddles up behind his arm in hockey. Jimbei is driven backward by the force of the charge. Uh, he's like jammed his arms between who's who's fangs in such a way that he can't bite him. And then he pivots and hip tosses him onto his fucking ass with a uh, fishman jujitsu technique. Then he launches some water shot things, but who's who dodges, I believe, is what shave is. He like flash steps away, I think. Um, Who's who says, yeah, uh, so I, uh, anyway, the question I wanted to ask before I tried to eat you, literally, uh, it's about a story I heard in a guard from, in the jail from a guard. While I was there undergoing terrible torments, he laughed and told me to pray. Apparently there was a figure that slaves would pray to in the long distant past, a legendary warrior who believed one day they would free him. The sun god Nika, did he exist or did they just dream him up? They thought he'd bring smiles to their faces and deliver them from suffering. My prison time in prison felt so em- endless that I actually clung to that strange legend of theirs. Save me, I thought. Someone, anyone, charges Jimbei again and is launching punches, I think, at him. And Jimbei's like, why the hell are you asking me about this? This is a really strange question to ask in the middle of a fight. And who's who says, because you were in charge of the Sun Pirates. And I heard that they were former slaves in that crew. And what is Fishman's history but the history of slavery? Or was this all a diversion? Because now he gets a claw out of each of his pointer fingers and he starts launching finger pistols from point-blank range and he's just really fiercely and rapidly jabbing uh, his fingers into Jimbei's body from all different angles. Uh, his men are looking on and are like, oh my god, he's going to jab him out. He's going to get him. Yeah, our Toby Rappo is stronger even than a former warlord. Um, who's who keeps talking while he... Yes. <laughs> well, he's, he's got a lot of exposition very... to deliver this chapter. 
it's very comic book fight scene fight dialogue so uh, but he also says the prison guard who told me the story of Nika disappeared days later. And so I started thinking I was in danger, too. So I risked it all to escape. And that's why I'm here today. Is it deadly to even know about the legend? Fascinating, isn't it? So tell me everything you know. Ow! <laughs> uh, I do like to some people point out that in the past I just talked about after he introduced finger guns, a bunch of like, parents would write him letters being like, my kid broke my finger trying to do your thing. So he's like. Uh, let me show you that you can break your finger doing this, I guess. Uh, apparently, uh, he uh, hit at the wrong angle, because, or origin based stronger now. I don't know. I think that he just got him from the wrong angle, because if you're doing like that, then it shouldn't jam backwards that way. Oh, well. So, but from there, who's who reels back after both of his pointer fingers have broken against Jimbei's hard defense. Jimbei grabs him by both wrists and uses... Fishman Karate shark grip and just cracks his wrists and says, I have nothing to say to the likes of you. So Husu tries to react by um kicking Jimbei, I think, in the head. He tries yeah, he, he tries he tries to uh a kick. And then he tries to launch a point blank fang pistol from right in front of him, and the fang pistol digs into Jimbei's head and Jimbei responds by backing up so that he can punch Huzu. <laughs> and uh, he uses a Fishman Karate secret art technique while stepping on Huzu's tail as he tries to run away from it. And Jimbei says, if you're going to run your mouth about history, be ready for what you're stepping into first. And he uses demon brick fist to punch who's who right in the nose and knock him on his ass. And that is where our chapter ends. Yeah, it's a fucking dope ass chapter for uh, for Jimbei. Yeah. Uh, this is also like the first, I guess we also kind of got a little bit of Frankie versus Sasaki, but this is like the first time we've gotten like a full straight chapter just devoted to a straw hat fighting somebody else in like a one-on-one -on -one fight since Dressrosa. So... It's pretty cool to have that. I really, I liked it. There's a little bit of lore stuff. I imagine uh, the the Nika Sun God stuff is the part that's relevant, and then all the other stuff about like, ah, uh, he's a former CP9. Really, just this kind of fluff for the world. Yeah. Um. So this is good stuff. We actually had, I think, a fair number of pretty damn good chapters this week. Yeah. So we had a good fight scene. We had uh whatever World Trigger was. Uh, we had the uh. <laughs> conclusion to the elusive samurai arc yeah so that is uh that is that is it that's it for the manga this week um i guess we should go through our favorites what was the best series what's the mvp who's the mvp best series i'm gonna give to one piece i think the one piece had a really cool fight chapter this week i really thought jimbei came out looking cool uh can't give him my character of the week uh, but i'm gonna give him my uh my chapter of the week basically I'm going to give mine to Nine Dragons Ball Parade. Okay. <laughs> it's a good, good conclusion to the sports story thing. You know, we got to see, you know, in this sequence, you know, all the important characters do a little contribution to it. And um, I thought that it was just like, hey, this is satisfying. And it was nice to have that little moment between uh, Ibuse and uh, his teammate. And uh, yeah, so it's good stuff. 
Yeah. Uh, my MVP though is gonna be uh, is gonna be Spring from Undead Unluck because he's great. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's that's my character of the week as well. I, I really really enjoyed that. <laughs> Spring was awesome. Uh, do we have uh, votes from the? Uh, yeah, listeners? the audience picked uh, Maguchan got his structure as their chapter of the week and Jim Bay as the character of the week. Both good uh, good choices. I yeah, would say. absolutely. All right, guys, we want to thank you for joining us here for Weekly Manga Recap. We record the show on twitch.tv slash live on Wednesday evenings, usually starting around 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. However, you can stay updated on that stuff on exactly where we're going live, both by following your hosts at Nick F. Time, at RoloT, and the podcast at WMR Podcast. And you can also get word when it goes live through our Discord server. We mentioned that before. People can uh, participate in conversations regarding the series that we're going to cover as a recommendation. Uh, whenever the series that uh, come out weekly get released, there's a nice big conversation that happens in another section. Uh, there are bi-weekly uh, gaming nights that are held amongst our great community. And you can also use that to find the document maintained by Ninja X3i that keeps track of all sorts of statistics associated with the show, uh, MVP voting, recommended series that we've done, all that kind of stuff. And recommended series where you can leave a recommendation such as so uh nick we had to say goodbye to one sports series but i wanted to follow it up by talking about another one in its place now nick what are some of the most iconic sports out there well usually you see baseball covered mm -hmm. in a lot of uh, manga because it's very popular in japan uh basketball there's been a few uh soccer quite a few as well um fly fishing um more obscure than fly fishing one might say uh life or death billiards where the balls are bombs that'd be a more exciting sport for sir nick we're gonna be talking about destroy all of humanity it can't be regenerated. The Magic the Gathering romance series. Oh, no. <laughs> Where you go for it? I heard this one's fun. I just love the name more than anything. Um, yeah, okay. So that'll be what we cover uh, in a week or two. We'll see how, how long it takes. Uh, and we might get through that in one week. Okay. Um, but in the meantime, we want to extend our thanks to you guys, our community. Uh, we want to extend thanks to our Patreon supporters for allowing us to create bonus content for you guys to enjoy. You can check out a new bonus podcast that we recorded uh, very recently. It's a special edition of yes. Weekly Manga Recap Lives, where we cover the best of uh, chapters as voted by you, our community, uh, the best chapters of 2020. Yes. Uh and we want to extend special thanks to Steve Mann, our title card artist. You can check out his work on certain video versions, uh, the video versions of certain episodes as they are posted to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash weekly manga recap, where you can listen to our show in video format. In addition to all the places that it's posted in audio form, like weekly manga recap.podbean.com, iTunes, Spotify, all places where a podcast can really be listened to, basically. And uh, you can check out Steve Mann's artwork uh, wherever boops are allowed to be drawn on the Internet. Yes. And Steve I wanted and, to, uh, real quick before I forget, I wanted to specifically mention that the initial recommender of the destroy all humanity can't be regenerated was tropical. Ah. So if it's bad, we know who to blame. That's that's, that's right. why Trop we bring those sense. up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and uh, who? What am I forgetting? Uh, uh, the, Milo Jack Stilitz and, and Lords of Chatter. Green, the opening sequence of Weekend Recap, as is used in the video versions of every episode. So yes. Uh, yep. So stay tuned. We got some cool stuff coming up very soon, and uh, that's good to do it right now, guys. Um, anything we want to throw out there at the end, Nick? My voice is tired, and I want water. All right. There we go. Goodbye, everybody.